And good evening or good morning, everyone, wherever on this rotating globe you happen to be located. You're on the other side of midnight, that's for sure. And boy, do we have a show for you tonight. We are on the eve of something, well, we're going to spend the next three hours kind of discussing what that something might be, as you may or may not have noticed. It's kind of hard these days if you're watching television, if you're tuned into Facebook, if you're looking at any of the mainstream newspapers, particularly the uh, New York Times and the Washington Post, you'll see that there is a new wave of journalism, an approach which I have not seen in all the decades I've been looking at this, and that is the subject of UFOs recoded by the Pentagon UAPs. I mean, where are you without an acronym? Um, has suddenly assumed major mainstream proportions and is being dealt with at very serious and high levels. And that's going to be the subject of the next three hours. A, why is this happening? B, what does it portend? And C, what the hell could happen next? I mean, in the last five years, everything politically that you could imagine going weird has gone weird. So is this going to be part of the continuum of weirdness or is humanity about to take a sharp turn in a different direction up to and including the mysterious Chinese? Um, We're going to be talking a lot more about Mars tomorrow night and the Chinese landing and all that. But I will presage what I'm going to be discussing with my two guests this morning uh, by saying that About three weeks ago, three weeks and change, the Chinese landed an amazing technological feat. They landed successfully an unmanned spacecraft, a rover, a lander on the planet Mars, which then promptly disappeared. We've had literally just a handful of images, and they're not the stunning color panoramas that we saw from their missions to the moon, Chang-3, Chang-4 and Chang-5, the latter which actually brought back samples by robotic means to China uh, from the moon. So the Chinese do this extraordinary feat. Uh, First time out of the box, they successfully land an unmanned set of spacecraft on the planet Mars. They give us two or three black and white images. They roll the rover on these images down the ramp. They touched the Martian soil, and then nothing for day after day after day. Where have the Chinese disappeared? Well, I have this feeling, and we're going to talk about it tonight with my two guests, that it's somehow involved in what we're going to be talking about in terms of this graduation of the whole UFO phenomenon from the kicker story at the end of the 11 o'clock news and the giggle giggle between, let's say, two anchors, and the way the mainstream media are suddenly dealing with this subject. Um, If you want to follow along, what you want to do is you want to go to theothersideofmidnight.com. That's our URL, theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on tonight's banner, which says very prominently, um, Democrats and Republicans unified in taking UFOs seriously. And no, that's not a typo. That's an um, editorial statement. 
And my guests tonight are Joseph Bookman, Dr. Joseph Bookman, and Steve Bassett. Um, let me let me kind of uh, you know introduce you to Dr. Bookman first, if you have not been following the bouncing ball. Joseph earned his PhD in media from Indiana University, an MBA in finance from Purdue, and tenure as associate professor of marketing and finance. He is the past chair of the Libertarian Party of Utah, the past chair of the Libertarian Party's National Platform Committee, a current member of the National Party's Financial Audit Committee, and served as the moderator of the 2013 Citizen Hearing on Disclosure. And there's a lot more on there, but you can read that on the other side of midnight. Um, uh, let me introduce my second guest, and I'll bring them both on so that we can save a little time here. Um, Stephen Bassett is my second guest, but <clears throat> first is not last and last is not least, because um, let me let me introduce Steve uh, in, in the following fashion, okay? There was a major story in the New York Times and in the Washington Post, and Steve made one of them. <clears throat> According to the Post, this is Steve's background. Steve Bassett is a registered lobbyist, political activist, and disclosure advocate, someone who pushes the formal acknowledgement by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He argues that being more forthcoming about UAPs that's UFOs in modern lingo, will serve to strengthen the credibility of the evidence and the government itself. Quoting Mr. Bassett, the American people may hear from their government the biggest truth ever relayed in a formal way to the human race, Bassett said. Now, if you're going to start truth-telling to regain trust of the American people, why not start with a big one? So without further ado, gentlemen, welcome back to the other side of midnight. Hi, Richard. Hi there. I'm you too. Joseph, are you there? Mr. Bookman. He has, he, he has to unmute. <laughs> so much for that PhD in communication. <laughs> Well, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to segue directly, Stephen, into the Washington Post piece, but we tried to post sure. it tonight. It was sent to me. I was able to get into it easily many times. We tried to post it on the website, and it says, paywall, paywall. So uh -huh. you have to have a subscription, I guess, to read the um, sterling comments that uh, Steve Bassett said. What I found was interesting is that they used you. And this really important quote, now, if you're going to start truth-telling to regain the trust of the American people, why not start with a big one? That's you directly, and you closed out the piece. And the reason, everybody, this is important is this Washington Post story, straight down the middle, summarizing in many, many paragraphs the last 75 years of this turgid tale, was written by none other than the Washington Post's White House bureau chief, Ashley Parker. Mr. Bassett, how did you land this one? The way it works is you get out there and you get covered. You do interviews. Uh, uh, and I've been moving toward that because, as you know, Richard, I kind of took some time off back in 2017 and went to the UK and then everything broke while I was over there and nobody remembered me. 
And so I've been working my way back in. And the break is when the Washington Times did an excellent article a couple of weeks back. And the Washington Times is read by all the, the politicians and the journalists in town. Right? It's the other paper, and it's the conservative side. So that put me back in play. Now, not that the Washington Post has put me in a number of articles over the years, but you know how it is. If you're out of the picture for a couple of two years, boom, you don't exist anymore. So anyway, uh, when she put this piece together, she thought, okay, I'll call him. Now, the, the most important thing about this is that this is the first time that I've been able to provide information to somebody as high up as the bureau chief for the White House. Uh, which is not only a high position, but it's also political. And then also she went to great lengths. We talked about 40 minutes. Everything is recorded now. In other words, when you give an interview, it's all recorded, which means that your quotes are going to be correct. And that's a fantastic thing. The, the old days when they were taking shorthand, oh, that was not good. So not only uh, would it record it, and it was about 40 minutes of the interview, but she went to great lengths to ask me exactly how I should be referred to. That mm. doesn't happen much. That simply doesn't happen much. It happens uh, with serious stories, Stephen. This is another data point. It should. It should. But usually they call you whatever they want. The UFO lobbyist, a UFO believer, whatever. No, 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 no. So, but it reflects something I already knew. We've crossed the Rubicon in terms of the media uh, on this issue. Uh, the, the days of stupid articles are fading fast, fast. Uh, it is being elevated the appropriate level that it always deserved to be. And so that makes it easier for everybody, not only the journalists, uh, but also for uh, us, the witnesses, researchers, all that. So, and that was notable. So there's a couple of notable things about it. And I was happy to give the final quote. It's great. Uh, but I'm not done there. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's my paper, right? The Washington post is my paper. My family on my mother's side lived in the, the Washington area since 1912. I've lived in and out of Washington numerous times, visited even more times. Uh, the Post is my paper. I've seen all the president's men six times. I think I've seen the Post three times, the movies. And so I would like to see this paper get way out in front of this issue. And right now, there is, interestingly enough, a very similar competition going on between the Post and the New York Times, as we saw with the Pentagon Papers mm. many, many years ago. And it's fascinating to it's, it's not quite the same, but uh, back then the Times broke the Pentagon Papers initially. The Post was completely out of the game. They're scrambling to get back in, but technically could probably never catch up except the courts uh, injuncted the New York Times and shut them down on that on that material until they could be reviewed in the courts. And the Post was able to jump in because they also got a copy and off they went. Um, this is somewhat similar. The New York Times breaks the two, the two articles that essentially changed everything. And that's, of course, two, uh, 1917, uh, 1917, <laughs> December 16th, 2017. Yeah, you know, time flies so, when you're having fun. <clears throat> those were the two big articles uh, that really launched everything. And once again, the, the next most important article is the one they just published. Why? Because there have been many articles uh, in the last three years. But this one is about the report, the uh, pending report. You're talking now about the Times, right? The uh, so-called leak. Talking about the Times. That we're yeah. following, you know, which again I couldn't post tonight because there's a paywall. <clears throat> but I've got it in front of me, so I can I can read all you want. I can easily uh, address it in any way. But um, um, so this time, 
Well, before we get been... into the substance, let me see if we got Joseph with. Joseph, are you there? I am, and I hit the unmute button right before you asked Steve that question. I figure I wouldn't be on for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> we try to be fair and balanced over here. That's okay. All right, Joe. Go away for an hour, have some dinner. All right. One back. of the distinguishing things about both of these gentlemen, which my audience may or may not know, is that both have run for Congress based on the UFO platform, on disclosure, on ET, ET platform. Extraterrestrials, yes, yes. Yes. Um, well, in most people's minds, UFOs and ETs are synonymous. That's why when we get to the Times thing, I can. it's kind of interesting how many angels can dance on the head of this extraterrestrial pin. Because in, in the minds of most people, as soon as, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, Joseph, why don't you tell us where you are tonight and what you're doing in Chicago? Because uh, there's an interesting connection personally between what you're doing tonight and what Robin and I did several years ago. Yes. Um, neither Steve nor I ran on the UAP platform. That much is for sure. This ridiculous new term that even the media now is saying UAP. Well, that means UFO. Uh, and that, you know, that means ET, uh, alien, whatever. Um, I ran for Congress twice back in 2008 and then in a special election in 2017 when Jason Chaffetz resigned just after getting reelected in Utah's third district. And on each of those occasions, I called for uh, whistleblower protection for whistleblowers in the federal government or among our contractors for federal agencies regarding waste, fraud, criminal activity, and the engagement of an extraterrestrial presence with humanity. Um, the people who work in areas where they know this reality carry a very heavy burden for the rest of their life. And um, uh, I came out here in part to visit grandchildren, uh, in part to have lunch with Donald uh, Schmidt, the leading Roswell researcher. Mm. Uh, who lives near my uh, grandchildren. And, and Don and I had this conversation just two days ago. The, the people, the witnesses he's met, uh, talked to, and, and, and who I have as well, who carry this burden of having signed non-disclosure agreements not to talk about this under heavy penalties. One of, one of them told me, look, as much as I might like to talk about things like this with my own wife, if I were to do so, I'd go to a place worse than Leavenworth. She would lose the health insurance and pension. Please don't ask me about this again. Um, that's a heavy burden to carry. And it looks like that burden has been lifted in, in this new environment where this is taken seriously and not ridiculed. And people who have come forward, American heroes like Bob Salas, for example, um, talking about their experiences as a military officer dealing with craft that shut down nuclear missiles in his case, they haven't been um, sent off to Leavenworth. And I think the odds of that are dropping like a rock now because of the, the seriousness with which this is taken. Um, the other reason I came to Chicago was the Libertarian Party's National Committee uh, met this weekend, um, today and tomorrow they're meeting. Uh, and I had uh, two opportunities to address them, one for a half an hour on, on the preservation work I've done on the founders' uh, uh, paper files, he passed away about a decade ago, which are being acquired by the Library of Congress for permanent uh, archiving and preservation, which means the Libertarian Party has reached a significant, I think, um, milestone and be taken seriously such that the, the library would see our 
our history worth preserving. And then secondly, actually, you mentioned I'm on the audit committee. I got elected chair of the audit committee. So I gave the uh, audit committee's report as well. I also had proposed a uh, motion for the Libertarian National Committee to address the whistleblower issue and open hearings on, again, waste, fraud, criminal activity, and the ET issue. I think those are the four biggies. And we should not punish, uh, persecute, prosecute people for reporting crimes by their government. And I see the birthright issue of whether we're alone in the cosmos or not. Uh, keeping any evidence of that uh, away because of a non-disclosure agreement is anti-constitutional, uh, should be illegal, I think is illegal, but certainly should not only be uh, uh, something dealt with with the threat of punishment or dire consequences, but it should be rewarded. People who come forward uh, on those issues. Uh, these are heroes. And so um, that proposal's out there. It hasn't been submitted uh, to the committee for a vote yet, but the individual managing it uh, is a member of the Libertarian National Committee who actually uh, worked in classified government research somewhere where he commuted from Las Vegas to somewhere not too far away from there, apparently mm. by air. So we can all guess what that is. And of course, he's kept his non-disclosure agreement. He hasn't told me where he worked or what he did exactly. Uh, but I do know that he, he would disappear for a week to 10 days at a time with no internet, no phone calls, uh, somewhere where he was working. Where Where's that? At any rate, um, he and I had some long conversations. And of course, politics works not just by open voting in a committee, but by lobbying and one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so uh, after the meeting today, there was a two-hour reception at the top of the Swiss Hotel looking down on Navy Pier and the fireworks that did not happen tonight, at least not by the time I left to rush home to be on the phone with you, Richard. So I wish <laughs> that you. headline you. you started the show with, and by the way, Steve, I can go for an hour without letting you in too, but I'm going to shut up in a second. <laughs> and, and I want everyone to know, Steve Bassett is a hero of mine. This is a man who has been a firm, committed stand for truth against uh, horrible opposition, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, challenges uh, with remarkable tenacity and, and gentle, uh, good humor and um, kindness and passion for this issue that, that, that is truly admirable. But I wish that headline said not Republicans and Democrats are united in taking UFOs seriously, but uh, libertarians, Republicans, and Democrats are united. Um, and I'll close with this uh, before I turn it back to Steve. Uh, I'll be forever grateful to Steve in 2008 when I ran for the United States House. He invited me uh, to the X conference in Gaithersburg, just outside of D.C., um, gave me a VIP pass and put me on a couple of panels. And on one of those panels, I said something that I've only become more adamant in believing, which is uh, the life that is out there that's had time to evolve must have the non-initiation of aggression principle as a core paradigm of their political behavior, which means they don't initiate force against each other. I think any culture that thinks the initiation of force is a good thing or in any way justifiable eventually self-destructs. So I believe, and it's more a matter of belief than knowledge, but I believe it's kind of intuitively obvious that they, they need to have non-initiation of aggression as a core value over the course of millennia in order to develop to a point they can travel here, that they would be at least benign to benevolent when looking at humanity. Um, and so um, 
uh, I think the universe is teeming with libertarians because that's our <laughs> core paradigm for political philosophy. In other words, the prime, no directive, the prime directive rules. Yes. And Roddenberry was right. Roddenberry was in light. You know, Roddenberry saw over the horizon and around the curve and to the next thing over there. I think there's no Democrats and no Republicans anywhere in the cosmos except for on this one backward planet. Well, hang on, hang on. Teaming. Unless yeah. Gene had sources. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, I have personal experience that he probably had sources. So anyway, let me let me let me turn back to, to Steve. Steve, when did when did you run for Congress on the ET platform? Mr. Bassett. This unmute thing is a real challenge for us. Isn't <laughs> yeah, it? it's a, it's a habit you got to get into. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're all we're all going to become Zoomers and 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 Skypers soon enough. But I'm still I'm still catching up. So uh, I ran in 2002 in the Eighth District of Maryland as an activist maneuver to get attention to the issue uh, because it was a very very closely followed race. A lot of money was spent. Uh, Kennedy was uh, one of the Kennedy strivers was running in the Democratic side that brought a lot of attention and Connie Morello the in- incumbent was well liked and served eight terms and of course the 8th district of Maryland is boots right up next to Washington DC it, it, it's next to it so uh, it's covered by the Washington Post hmm. so I realized if I were to get on the ballot not just in a primary if I got in the ballot then I would be able to probably attend some of the debates, get coverage, attract attention to the issue. And I ran on the extraterrestrial issue, not the UFO issue. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and disclosure, of course, truth embargo, all that. Um, and it, went, it was fine. Uh, I got about 1,700 votes. I got some coverage. So it was, you know, it cost me about, I don't know, seven, eight, 9,000. We had to gather 5,000 signatures to get on the ballot. That was an interesting experience. And uh, yeah, the, the weird thing about it was is that a lot of the media coverage I had hoped to get was lost along with the other candidates because in the middle of the campaign, nearly as it was heating up, to, uh, getting close where the media jumps in, the Beltway sniper showed up yeah. and started shooting yeah. people in the, in, my, in the 8th District of Maryland. They were shooting my uh, you know, hopeful constituents, uh, which is America. Okay, I mean, that's just. You have to get up every day in America trying to figure out what you're going to be doing and factor in the possibility that you or somebody around you is going to be shot with, with an automatic weapon. And that's just the way we roll here. And that's OK. Anyway, the point is that I was the first to do that. So I got some mileage out of that. Joe, I think, was the second person to be on a ballot uh, in, in a congressional, uh, uh, I mean, an election. Uh, I think he was the second. I think Hildebrand, Hildebrand was after you, Joe. I think he was third. Uh, isn't that right? Aren't you? Aren't, oh, he may have muted. Hmm. Anyway, I think he was second. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, these are the things I, you do. I was also, I was also the first to do it twice, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, there <laughs> you go. Right there, you go. And 2017. And hey, I, I may do it a third time. I well, given, uh, gentlemen, given the rate at which the landscape is changing, I want to focus a little bit on that in terms of you know, major media, communications, political mindsets. Uh, Joe, if you're serious about that, um, third time could be a charm. Steve would like to see me run with one of the two old, two old parties, sometimes called major parties. <laughs> um, and, you know, in Utah, it's, it's an interesting political landscape. But, 
I, um, I probably will, and probably as a libertarian, because that's what I'm passionate about in terms of, of what I feel would do the most good. In terms of the odds of getting elected, yeah, I need a campaign manager like Steve to, to push me toward uh, what might actually work. But um, I admire um, anyone who runs uh, for elected political office and does it seriously. Okay, the reason the I wanted I to get into this, and I'm, I'm going to collapse time here a little bit because we have five minutes to the bottom of the hour. Um, I okay. wanted to establish the bona fides of both you gentlemen to talk about the Congress, the politics, Washington, and I want to switch back to you, Steve, because you ah. and and Joe have focused on the Congress. You, for many years, have talked about congressional hearings, et cetera, et cetera. Yet, and this is the thing I find really interesting, person who did this major current piece in the Washington Post, which is the paper of record politically in Washington. The Times right. is there, but the Post, of course, certainly with Bezos' money, uh, out, outweighs them, um, was not just any reporter. It was the White House bureau chief for the Washington mm. Post. And yeah. judging from the piece and judging from other things I've seen uh, Ms. Parker do, what is your assessment as to why they either assigned her to do this or she volunteered to do this? Well, as I was saying before, uh, the Pentagon Papers was a big story. It was huge. It was about the misrepresentation of the Vietnam War, which killed a couple of million people. So it was kind of an important thing. And uh, so it, when it broke in the New York Times, it was a very big deal. The Washington Post was not in play. They were off the field. But they got lucky because the, uh, the courts up in New York injuncted the Times from, from putting anything more out uh, because it supposedly violated some laws. And then the Post got its own set of documents, which is an interesting story. It's all in the movie, The Post, pretty well done. Um, and they jumped in and ended up kind of leading. But then it, it, it continued back and forth. In other words, you've got the, the, the national, the, what is considered the financial paper of record in the United States, competing with the, polit, the United States political paper of record under a major story. Okay, now we move to the current time. The story in play is a hundred times, a thousand times bigger than the Pentagon Papers. And so the Washington, the New York Times again gets the initial uh, move. It's the one that breaks the story, or I say breaks into the issue in a big way. There have been thousands of articles written about We're it. talking December 2017. We're talking December uh, uh, 16, 2017. Now, and so when it comes to this kind of competition, it's, it's really a chess game. And, and some of that comes out in the movie The Post with Tom Hanks. What you write, who gets assigned to write it, where it is in the paper, all of these things play into how that story is going to develop with respect to your paper. And if, and if you're competing with that paper, then you have got to maneuver so as you can uh, get the best possible position. Now, in the case of The New York Times, uh, what they did was, in addition to the fact that obviously they had an exclusive, they assigned three writers to the article, uh, both articles, rather, in the New York Times in 1917. Helene Cooper was the staff writer, but a lot of people don't know that Helene Cooper is the Pentagon correspondent. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, and so she is this, and White House correspondent. She, she was previously an editor 
diplomatic correspondent, a White House correspondent, and was part of the team that awarded the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for international reporting. In other words, she is not just regular staff writer. She is really heavy duty. And I, I need to find out exactly what her position is now and if she's based in Washington or not. Leslie Kane, a, a, an independent freelance uh, journalist who has written key stories and been involved in the issue for years and has a strong connection to Podesta, uh, she was on the article. And then they added Ralph Blumenthal. Now, Ralph Blumenthal was a 30-year careerist at the New York Times. He won two Pulitzer Prizes, and he's a legend in journalism. He's on the article. So the message they were sending to everybody out there in journalism was this is not only a big story, but we're really serious about this big story. All right? And so since then, there have been uh, some hey, articles. Hold there. The- we're at the bottom of the hour. Okay. My guests this morning are Steve Bassett, who, among other things, uh, produced and created the uh, uh, event at the National Press Club. We're going to be talking about it a little later in the morning. My other guest, uh, Dr. Joseph Bookman, has run for Congress now twice on the ET platform and uh, libertarian principles and seems to agree with me that uh, Gene Roddenberry's prime directive <clears throat> seems to have very interesting, elegant, libertarian strains. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. For the Green Revolution 2.0 is called Gates Ag 1, and it's highly funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates. The mission statement is all about how we must accelerate the deployment of new technologies to indigenous farmers, and it's going to help them with climate change, right? It all, again, it all ties back to that. And we must go in and take their heirloom genetics away from them, right? These, these precious, uh, hardy, resilient seeds that have fed those people in various parts of the world for generations, for, for hundreds of generations in some cases, and replace them instead with newly genetically engineered, CRISPR modified, bastardized. That's why I say they're defiling the food supply. Ag tech, as it's called. And so this is why we now need to introduce the idea of a acute food crisis. And I would suggest that they have engineered, and we're staring right now down the barrel of this is the, the urgency in tonight's conversation uh, of an engineered food shortage. And they will use this food shortage, which you're starting to see now around the world, especially as the big bread baskets have started to experience crop failures. And they're shutting down their exports of grains, corn and soybean prices are rising precipitously. That means that the countries that depend on those exports, the net importers, are all already experiencing food crises. And so this is spreading around the world right now. And what will happen as we, you know, as we get through this is you'll see the media and these think tanks and the UN, all these, all these players will point at the problem. 
it's just the Hegelian dialectic again, right? They'll say, now you see, because of climate change, this mm-hmm. is why we're having these food shortages and, of course, the pandemic. And this is why, this is why we have to move into indoor vertical farms and lab-grown meat. And this, you, there's no option. Now, now you feel the pain and now you see why we've been doing this. We've had your interests at heart the whole time. We're from the government. We're here to help. Right, so there's an acute crisis situation that we're now walking into, and that will be used to bring all of this nasty technology in. This is Christian Westbrook with the Ice Age Farmer, and you're listening to The Other Side of the News. back everyone to the other side of midnight for this saturday june 5th 2021 if you recognize the music in the background it's because remember this opening scene in the day the earth stood still this ufo coming in over the mall and landing there between the washington monument and the uh, nation's capital Well, something metaphorically very similar is happening before our very eyes, and that's what we're going to kind of probe and try to get into in some depth tonight. Uh, Stephen, again, you, um, I am very intrigued that that Ashley Parker either chose herself or was chosen to write this because one of the only people in the country who still is kind of treating this the subject with a kind of a smirk is the current president of the United States, Joe Biden. Unlike his predecessor, who he served with as vice president, because if you go back to the uh, uh, other side of midnight, uh, our website, item number three, uh, former president uh, Barack Obama gave an interview, I think, for uh, CBS a few nights ago and was asked about this and dealt with it very very seriously. In fact, he raised the idea that, and this is a direct quote, proof of aliens will lead to new religions and, this of course is inevitable, massive additional military spending. What do you think of the fact that he's the only former president on record who's basically hitting it right on the head? Stephen? Unmuting helps I I wouldn't say that he's hitting it right on the head. This is, again, I've I've said this many times that I'll continue to say it. If you want to understand what is going on, uh, and I want to get back to these articles at some point because they are filled with great stuff. Uh, If you want to understand what's going on, you simply cannot take it literally. You have to. Think of it as like a staged. No, wait, wait, wait. That, that almost talk. sounds like people when they talked about Trump. Oh, don't take him literally. Take him seriously. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that. And if they did, they're they that's did. Whatever, but that's not, yes. that's not something I would say. I don't care what they say. But what I'm trying to say is, is that is that you, there's two things people must constantly keep it must keep in mind. If they if they if they don't think it's true, well, I guess you can't help them. But I know it's true, and that is this: the U.S. government has been has known about the ET presence has been dealing with ET technology, has had bodies, even had a living ET or one or, one or more. 
since the 1940s, early 50s. That's 74 years. So this whole thing about, well, we want to release something, maybe we're going to do an investigation or anything, it's all a, a sort of a play. It's, it's, it's kabuki like, theater. It's kabuki theater. Okay. And so you can't take it literally. But when isn't that what most only, of politics turns out to be if you want to get anything really done? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I think that the reason that this is a theater is because it's so huge, so implicative, and so, and so important, and so classified, it's so secret, so transcendent, that you just can't deal with it like you're just trying to get an infrastructure bill through. So, no, no, the degree that the truth embargo has twisted people's ability to communicate on this or research it or even cover it as a journalist is, is off the scale, at least for a democratic republic. So, again... What presidents can say is very limited. What presidents can do is limited. What journalists can say and do. And so the government already knows. The government already has the technology, or has technology to re-engineering. Uh, and so what's going on, Steve? In other words, that's a reasonable question. What is going on now? Well, the that, question I really wanted and the reason I brought up Obama is because it wasn't just any reporter for the Post that did this story with you at the Capper. It was I the know. White House bureau chief, which to me says they're looking to the Biden administration to be the next shoe to fall in the centipede. Maybe. But really what, what, what's going on is there's a competition going on between the Post and the New York Times, which has now escalated to a point where it's noticeable and very, very important. In the case of the Pentagon Papers, if only one of the two major papers had gone off to that story, the White House may be able to shut it down. But because it was both of them, and they were literally competing with each other to see who could get stuff out first, the, the White House couldn't do anything. And ultimately, Nixon was uh, forced out of office. So in Can the I first – say something? Yeah, by all means. And I want you guys, when you have a point, don't be, be polite. Break in because this is a conversation. Yes, Joe, go. Pentagon Papers – competition between the times and and um the post um is is just brilliant what steve's talking about and two of the players involved were mike gravel senator gravel who served on the citizens hearing panel who read the pentagon papers into the committee that he chaired which was the buildings and grounds committee late night called him into into a session and literally read the Pentagon paper into the congressional record, thus thwarting any attempt by the Nixon administration to go after the Times. Um, and he could not be prosecuted because he was a sitting senator doing that. The other major player was Danny Sheehan, who, who uh, was a very young attorney at the time, um, uh, representing, I believe, the Times. Is that right, Steve? So two of the people out of the um, eight of us uh, on the on the panel, me as moderator, uh, Danny is of counsel and Mike Gravel uh, mm-hmm. with the other six. Um, Gravel and, and Sheehan were both involved in the Pentagon's Papers case all the way through the Citizens Hearing in 2013 back together again. Yeah, so th- there's that fascinating connection. And so what's happening now, again, if, 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 when you try to say, what did, why did President Biden say this? Why did Hillary Clinton say that? Why did John Podesta say this? Why this article? Why that? You have to understand that what is happening now is that the journalists, by the way, there's plenty of journalists inside the Post and the New York Times that know the ET presence is real. I assure you, they're very smart people. So what is happening now is the journalists, the major papers, the DOD, the Navy, and the politicians, 
and ultimately the White House are trying to extricate themselves out from the 74-year truth embargo. And it's not an easy thing to do. They just can't all sign a petition one day and say, yeah, they've been here all along. Sorry, we didn't tell you. Go screw yourself, right? <clears throat> no. This, in order for this to happen with minimal damage and disruption to an already disrupted country, it needs to be handled in a certain way, and it needs to be gone through a certain process. In the meantime, though, everybody wants to know what's going on. Everybody's got the questions, and they can't answer those questions, whether you're Mellon or Elizondo or the president. You can't give straight answers. We are still under the truth embargo. You cannot give straight answers, which is why you have activists in this world. Because basically what activists do is give straight answers. They don't care whether it's a job issue for them or whether it's going to upset a family member. They simply say what they have to say. And one of their jobs, and getting back to something you said earlier, is that people say and think various things about things. One of the jobs of the activists is to try to get people to think correctly, to get the picture correctly so that their thinking is in line with reality. Because invariably, whenever you're in a situation where governments are simply doing something that's totally wrong, it's because there are a lot of people supporting it whose beliefs are not uh, aligned with reality. And so that's how you have to look at this. So Obama aside, what, what, what he said and what, what Biden said is, is not significant right now. It really isn't. What is significant is the two most important papers in the country are now seriously competing to be, I guess you could say, as much of a lead as possible on the biggest news story in history. The Times gets off to a great start with those two articles. They were, again, exclusives. Nothing like that had been published before. They put, as I say, a double Pulitzer Prize winner on it. They put one of their top reporters on it, and Leslie Kane. From then on, for the next three years, the Times and the Post were trading back articles back and forth, though overall the Post has been in second place. And then on the 3rd of June, the Times dropped another major article. Why was it major? It, it, you'd think, no, 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 this is not, we, we, we saw it coming. Why is it so major? Simple. This article is about the report that was put in play by Marco Rubio when he was the, uh, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee saying, oh, we need an analysis, uh, analysis back from, from agencies, the DOD, ONI, over Navy, and so forth. Uh, about the status of this issue and what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, which is clearly not something that's been done lately, if ever, frankly. And so that's a big deal. He put a deadline on it of 180 days. Smart move. He, he started that deadline when the bill would be signed. End of the year. Smart move, which put the deadline for this report after the election. Rubio wasn't running. He was politically safe. And so what what did it mean? It meant that there was going to be a six-month wrap-up of public expectation about this report. And this report isn't going to be the Condon report. And, so, and, and, and this is the modern era. This is the era of social media. And so as these six months have gone by, the social media has grown and grown and grown. Scores of podcasts have, have, have emerged out of nowhere. Everybody's interviewing everybody else, and the heat is growing. And so a few weeks before the thing is due, interestingly enough, the Times gets another leak in a sense. It's a leak and maybe an exclusive. If you read the June 33rd article carefully, what you, you, you figure out is that somebody familiar 
with the classified portion of this developing report leaked part of it to the New York Times. Now, this is not exactly the most, I mean, it's a national security matter, but it's not like they leaked the atom bomb secrets. <laughs> and, and, and it's very possible that it was an intentional leak. They wanted this out ahead of the report, right, for public relations purposes. And this whole thing is basically a public relations campaign. And so they get this leak, which allows them to put out this story, right? And if you read between, again, I, I feel so bad for people that haven't spent 25 years totally devoted to this issue as they're trying to read this stuff and say, what the hell is going on here when it's as plain as day to me? But hey, you know, that's, that's fine, specializing. And so what they basically leaked was what you're going to hear in the, is in the classified section, and will undoubtedly, some of it will come out in the open session, is that the fundamental premise of this report, which is exactly what I expected, is that uh, we're not going to confirm there's extraterrestrials. We're not going to show you any of the Roswell records. But what we're going to say is something that Mellon and Elizondo have been saying, and that is that the technology that is being uh, represented by the recent cases and witnesses, which is only a fraction of the total amount of cases like this, and the three pieces of gun camera footage, the U.S. has thousands of gun camera footages. Wasn't there a they reference could... in the Times piece to about 120 cases that this report will go into? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't mention why they why 120, but there have been thousands of cases. But they selected 120. Whatever doesn't matter. Could have been a thousand. Could have been 150. Doesn't matter. The point is, is that what they're saying is, is that what we can determine. And we're prepared to state formally to the Senate Intelligence Committee is that we could not find evidence of an alien involvement. Sure. Okay, fine. That's cool. <laughs> right. But no, wait, did, we, did the Times actually say that's what the report is going to say? Yeah. And so what they did say is that we have determined that uh, the technology being represented by this phenomena is not ours, meaning any of ours, meaning any part of the U.S. government, classified and, and, and unclassified programs, military and space. It's not ours. Now, here's where that, that's very interesting, doesn't it? Because what, what they've done is they've made a very safe play here. It's exactly what you'd expect. It absolutely is going to fuel the need for congressional hearings. Because if it's high technology and not ours, then it's de facto a national security matter, which is, why, which is the basis that these hearings are being put together in the first place. But it doesn't suddenly put the, the uh, DOD in the extraterrestrial uh, and alien business. No, it doesn't. However, for, for the average person, it's like, oh, man, I guess you know, we're not going to get the truth. But for an experienced person, what you just heard was profound. Because let me just give your, your listeners a, a little tip here in case they have any doubts whatsoever. The United States' technology and defense and military is the finest in the world. It is equal to or greater than any technology in the hands of the Chinese, the Russians, the Canadian, the French, Somalia, Brazil, <laughs> Costa Rica, any of them, period. All right. And so... If it's better than anything the United States has, it's better than any country can have. And that pretty much leaves one thing, doesn't it? It's extraterrestrial without well, saying it. Perfect. 
All right. And so that is what really has just transpired here. They just sent a message out of the DOD on a leaked thing to the New York Times, who then, by the way, on this new article, it's worth noting, they, in addition, they, they, they dropped the two writers on this. Uh, Helene uh, Cooper, again, I told you her background, but she's high tier. And they added Julian E. Barnes. He is a national security reporter based in Washington covering the intelligence agency. Mm. You think he was the person that got the leak from an intel person inside on that? Mm. Probably so. And so this article is sent a message that, hey, look, it's, it's going to, there's going to be hearings on this. The report is going to be helpful. But if you want to get deeper than what we're prepared to give you right now, you're going to have to bring in a bunch of military witnesses, put them under oath, and have them testify in front of hundreds of millions of people watching on their TVs. Okay. So now that comes out, and that, re- that really puts the largest in post. Hang on, Joe. The You're going to have a window here in a moment. Go ahead, Steve. Finish up. Okay. That, 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 that puts the Washington Post behind the eight ball a little bit. Now they've dropped further behind. And so Ashley, so they decide we've got to get an article out, right? Okay. And so uh, I'll, let me put it this way. Let me, let me clarify this. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> uh, I got to get this correct. Okay. I believe that the Post learned that this article was coming out. In other words, it was very similar to what happened in the, in the Pentagon. You mean the leak in the Times? Yes, they, they, they knew that the, the Times had gotten a leak, just like the Washington Post found out that, uh, that they had gotten something and there was going to be an article and, they, and, and, and it came out uh, ahead of what the Post could do. So the Post, I think, finds out that somebody's leaked something to somebody, probably almost certainly Julian Barnes. And so they try to move quickly to get a story out ahead of it. And so the Washington Post was published on June 1. And the Times report, the big one, which is a major report, major story, was posted on June 3. So when Ashley Parker calls me, she made it clear that she needed to address the political aspects of this. And she w- it was on a tight deadline. Okay. Mm. And, and I only got a little bit of time. And so, I, you know me, I managed to squeeze 40 minutes in there, 30, 30, 40 minutes, and gave her as much as I could on a political basis. Uh, and so they got, she said, it'll probably come out in the weekend. It came out on June 1. Now, this story is important in the Washington Post, I assure you, but it's not the bombshell that the New York Times was, but the Post are them are competing. And so they didn't, obviously, they could have put anybody on this story. Well, it, they could have just it, managed it. 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 Stephen, it, it, it backgrounds the Washington Post readers for what's going to happen next. Yeah, it shows that it shows everybody that, hey, you, you think the Times is serious about this? We just put the White House Bureau. Exactly. On exactly. OK, okay. L- let me go back to Joe. Joe, thoughts yeah. on this? Yeah. One other thing. I mean, these articles are saying no evidence of E.T., no evidence it's alien, but it's outperforming anything in our classified programs or that are, it's not our military encountering your experimental stuff in the deep black world. We can not say, well, we got in the deep black world, but that ain't it. There's a third thing that I think is absolutely fascinating, and that is what they're saying about what's being observed. No control surfaces, no wings, no propulsion, no exhaust. <laughs> Flies for maybe 12 hours or more. Our military jets got to go back and refuel every 90 minutes or mm. less. Uh, transmedium dives down underwater, soars up through the air, probably goes out into space. Um, Can you say? And 
and wait, here's the killer. These things were observed 17 years ago. You're telling me the Chinese or Russians had this 2004? And these things were observed in the 80s. Um, I've talked to Air Force pilots who, who I asked, have you, have you seen the video? And I haven't seen the video. And I'm telling them what it is. And they say, oh, you're talking about the stuff dives down in the water and zooms along faster than the fastest subs by a factor of, what, 10? <laughs> and then zips out. And I said, yeah, so you've seen the video. I said, no, I saw that when I was flying in the Air Force. This is somebody who would have seen it in the 80s. You tell me the Chinese or the Russians had this, no control surfaces, no exhaust, stays in the air for 12 hours or more, transmedium stuff in the 80s? Any human had that? So that's what they're saying. Everything but. They're, they're saying it's alien without saying it's extraterrestrial. Well, hang on, guys. Let, let me, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me interject. It's only, you know, I'm just sitting here. What it says to me is super important high technology that can control gravity and therefore makes fossil fuels obsolete. Yeah. Tackles the whole tackles the whole tackles the whole idea of climate, you know, change at the White House level from a totally different perspective. You want to talk about real infrastructure changes, figure out how they're flying and put it to use on in other words, this is not a trivial entry point that the Pentagon, the DOD, the National Security Establishment has focused on because it will break open at the level where people will relate, God, I need this. I don't want to go to the gas station anymore. Well, we've known that for some time. But ordinary (laughs) folks reading the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post do not. That's That's why I want to go back to Obama. Because Obama, you know, remember, he's not a non-entity. He is the most beloved figure in the Democratic Party. To say nothing of maybe independence. So, proof of aliens will lead to new religions and massive military spending. He's cut to the chase. He didn't say that. Uh, did you he didn't see, say that? Did you see what he actually said? That's a he synthesized said, headline. He, he raised it that that's something that could happen. He didn't say it would. He said that's something that could happen. And, and that's, that's fine. It's not an unreasonable thing to say. But there's a whole background here that uh, I, I don't know how many of your listeners know. But the Obama connection to the ET issue is long. And he's, he's directly tied to the Clintons. He, he, he was involved uh, with her election. He was part of her campaign. And as I've said a number of times. And he kept hiring uh, Podesta. I, I, I basically forced Obama and hit Clinton and Bill Clinton and Podesta out from cover. So they had to go out and make statements during that game they did, that they didn't want to make because I had the goods to be able to, to connect them to the ET issue. And my publicist and I, she's, she's a legend in this town. She worked the media in Washington. We started getting stories. And once those stories started, they just exploded. And, and they were getting reporters coming at them, which they couldn't speak to. And so they had to go public and say some things. That was all happening in 2015, 2016. Eventually, 400 articles were written. And so Obama knew that Clinton wanted to disclose. He's known about the ET issue forever. He, oh, actually, not, not forever. The ET connection to the Clintons he's known about for quite a while. But if he didn't know, he certainly knew when he hired Podesta to be his campaign uh, 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 transition chief uh, and then brought Hillary Clinton and P- Pianetta into the government. 
And so they, he, he has been there involved in the issue, though it was, he was not going to be the disclosure president. He brought Podesta back in in 2014 for 13 months, right, talking about we don't know, except we do know. He's talking about the ET issue and how it was going to be handled in, in, in Clinton's campaign. Leslie Kane has already acknowledged she, had, she went to the White House for meetings. Who do you think she was meeting with? Podesta and probably Obama. And so he is he he knows much more about this issue. Can he say anything? He he has to be very careful. Can they just dodge all the questions? That oh, wait, 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 wait. You, 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 in? You've said that several times now. He has to be careful. The president. Why? Absolutely. Why? Because Trump showed process. us the president can get away with almost anything. Uh, the things he didn't get away with are not discussed more often. But let's just say that there is a process underway. And everybody of any importance knows it, and they are, by and large, either opposed to it or they're helping it along. And that process that is underway is we're going to get the hearings we've been trying to get, the real ones, since 1947. The best we could get was two one-day hearings in 66 and 68, which were utterly of unimportance. There was some testimony. It didn't matter. It was just for show. That's it. Dozens of attempts to get hearings in the last 60 years have all been blocked, period. You can't have them. You won't have them because hearings for military witnesses would end the truth embargo. So finally, as a result of the emergence of the TTSA and the actions of Elizondo and Mellon, the the, the table has been set to actually have these hearings. And that's how they well, want wait, wait, to wait. end. Don't we have to really though. thank Harry Reid and the Senator Stevens from Alaska? And in a way, all of them, all of them, all of them. But 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 they they the the story about Reid and Bigelow and so forth that was submitted to the Times was of course major impetus for what came next, right? But the people carrying out the plan are the TTSA people now, no longer with the TTSA because they, they had to step out to do what they're doing. And so essentially the people in this town over the, over the, in the period since uh, 2017, when they launched the TTSA have figured out, and that includes committee chairs, congressmen, the DOD, the Navy, and, and, and a lot of journalists, right? What's happening is, is they're trying to get to the hearings, right? which has been slowed down because this pandemic showed up and killed you know, a lot of people, but it's about to end. The pandemic's getting better. They're trying to get to the hearings so they can bring in the military witnesses, hold hearings for a week or so. Okay, the testimony we, we, will be overwhelming. We need, we need to kind of hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning, Steve Bassett, who was the creator of the Citizens uh, event at the National Press Club, which would have gone further except some unusual events subsequently happened, and we may get into some of those. Uh, Joseph Bookman is with us. He has run for Congress twice on the ET platform. He's a libertarian. He, uh, like me, thinks that uh, Gene's famous prime directive really has basic roots in libertarian philosophy. What we're going to talk about in the next half hour is where do we go next? The mainstream press is obviously setting us up for the next chapter in this unfolding extraordinary volume which if it's done correctly actually if it's even done incorrectly it's going to change human history what we want is for it to be done correctly you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland we shall return
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Now oh, we've had a technical failure. That's terrible. Gosh, we can't have that. <laughs> Okay, I think we're back. There we are. There we are. Um, My guests this morning, Steve Bassett and Joe Bookman, and we're talking about how the mainstream in this run-up to the release of this formal Senate Intelligence Committee report commissioned uh, many months ago after the last election, spearheaded by then head of the Intelligence Committee, um, uh, Marco Rubio, is going to drop sometime. Steve, I thought that the actual due date was the 1st of June. How did that slip till the end of the month? Off a post and off it goes. The the deadline is June the 26th, which is a Saturday. So the Ah. deadline's really Friday the 25th. 180 days from the day the bill was signed, the omnibus bill, which included the Senate Salvage Appropriation Bill. And that was signed on December the 27th. Uh, 2020. Okay, well, I'm glad we cleared that up. So, yes, at the end of the month, this report will be delivered to the Senate Intelligence Committee. Mm-hmm. Is there any time frame on when they make it public, or will they sit on it for several weeks? Will it leak out in 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 portions, like apparently some of it's done to the Times? Or what do you what do you project will happen next? Pretty straightforward. Uh, unlike a lot of situations, the American people have been aware that this thing was due for 180 days. The level of expectations, the amount of uh, uh, social media activity on it, interviews and other articles, is quite extensive. And so this is no mystery. And in fact, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be out in the open. Uh, So they'll get the report. They will read it. The committee will read it. Keep in mind, I believe the entire committee has already been briefed ahead of time, maybe more than once by Mellon and, and witnesses. So if they're set for this, they'll get the report, they'll read it for a few days, and then they'll release the unclassified uh, section to the public, no hocus pocus, uh, and they'll review the classified portion. And then I think Rubio and Warner together, operating together, are going to call, say we're going to hold a hearing. That's what is about to have happen next. And the point I was trying to make before is that the whole agenda from the beginning was to get to these hearings. But it was complicated because the original group that came out, TTSA people and that project, they didn't hold a giant strategy meeting from Washington DC wide to get everybody on the same page. They just launched and started forward. And so people in this town had had to sort of figure things out 
kind of like building the airplane while it's flying kind of thing, uh, and then yeah. get on board as it moved forward. But as you can see, people are getting in, on board like crazy. CIA directors, former you know, national intelligence guys, uh, and so forth, and now the DOD. So, and why is the, and, and so you got to have the hearings. Why? Because this extrication process for it to work and work appropriately as they want it to, it must go through hearings. So the American people and the world will watch these hearings go on for some time. They'll see witness after witness, military, either active or, or retired, like Fravor, like uh, uh, Day and some of the others, and the nuclear witness, uh, nuclear tampering witnesses, which will be some of the most powerful that will we'll present, testify in front of these committees under oath. And this will go on for a while. And, of course, the DOD is winning because they cooperated. They brought a report, and these are military people. The, uh, the, mil- the military services, to the extent that these witnesses representing them, they're, they're winning. The committee chairs are winning huge. The committee members are, are winning. They're able to conduct hearings without all the posturing and silly political nonsense they get into because this is a fully nonpartisan issue. See, one of the things – hang on. One of the things, uh, Joe, you know, <clears throat> the libertarian folks notwithstanding – I thought was very interesting in Parker's piece was that she states right in the headline. Of course, the reporters don't write the headlines, but obviously the <clears throat> gestalt was this is the, the thrust of, of the article. Joint unified bilateral interest by Republicans and Democrats in this issue in an era where people are desperately looking for anything across the aisle. This is like, yeah. you know, this is like water in a desert to a dying you know, migrant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that's another winning aspect of it. The, the members of Congress for the first time will have major and major, major hearings with mass world audience where they don't have to politically posture. And as you know, when they politically posture in some of these hearings, it's, it's, it's painful to watch. It's extremely unpleasant. So they're going to be able to ask intelligent questions of military individuals with extraordinary testimony, do their jobs and look really good. So they win. Both parties win. The American people win because they see a little nonpartisanship, not to mention they're getting the truth. But the big winner is the president of the United States. Because what happens with the hearing process, this extrication process, is instead of a Carter or a Clinton trying to punch through proactively through the DOD to try to get files to release to get this truth embargo ended, which is, would be a bloodbath in a lot of ways – the hearings literally deliver the disclosure announcement to the president. He will be able to say that I've been watching these hearings along with you, my fellow Americans, for now a week, week and a half, whatever. This extraordinary testimony from dozens of military witnesses about nuclear weapons tampering. And we've seen some more gun camera footage and all this other stuff. And I have talked with the leaders of Congress and I've talked with top officials in the Pentagon. And we have come to the consensus that this testimony does, in fact, confirm that this is non-human technology from elsewhere, almost certainly another planetary system. You see how much more responsible that sounds? You see how less disruptive that is? You see how there's all these winters, winners and very few losers? And so if you figure this out, and I'm sure the president has, and Obama has, and just about everybody else in town that's got major connections has, you, you, you don't jump in and do anything that's going to screw it up. 
you have to be very careful because everybody knows what's going down in terms of the, the, the report coming. The reporters are all over asking everybody's questions. And you can't just say what you want to say. Mellon can't say what he wants to say. Neither can, can uh, uh, Elizondo, uh, Elizondo or Bush or anybody else. Why? Because that would cause problems that could disrupt getting to those hearings. That's what they have to get to, and they don't want to do anything to screw that up. So what they're kind of having to do, and I, I'm not being critical here, and it's been going on for three years, particularly with Mellon and Elizondo, is that and they're going to have to lie some in order to get out from under the big lie. Does that make sense? Are you following well, me? Well, in other words, you're saying they're going to have to pull an Emily Dickinson. Tell all the What's truth, that? but tell it slant. Very famous poem. Uh, no, not quite. It's, it's not quite. The truth, the truth when it comes out in the hearings, I don't think will be slant. I'm simply saying there's a political mover that has to happen, maneuver that has to happen here about an issue so profound, nobody can measure it. It will change the world forever. And it's happening during a time when the politics in the country is the worst maybe it's been since the Civil War. And we're coming out of a pandemic that's going to kill eventually probably 10 million people worldwide. Uh, so it's a three-dimensional, four-dimensional chess game going on here. And, and, and I'm, I'm able to barely follow it because all I've done is focus on this issue for 24 years and particularly on the politics in Washington, particularly on the Clintons and Obama. Right. Who are connected to this. And so the things you want to look for. Right. Is you're going to see more competitive articles going on between the Post and the Times. The, the Post got out slightly ahead of the Times article on the first. It's not a bad article. I'd love to go through it because there's some wonderful stuff in that article. But then that Times hits with a bombshell. I assure you, the Post is already thinking, what can we do next? I'm going to be doing my best so that I'm part of that thinking. All right. And so they'll come out with something. I have a feeling the Times may come out with a major investigatory piece. Now, what do I mean by that? It means they've had three years to put a couple of reporters or a team of reporters on some any aspect of this issue and go after it. Or maybe not. They may not want to ruffle. Uh, well, what, about, what about Helen Cooper herself? She was on NBC the other evening, yep. and, and the anchor asked her specifically, right. when this breaks, will you be our UFO reporter? And she said, yes. Did he say UFO reporter? He certainly did. All right. I've got I've got to keep working on this. I hate that goddamn term. I despise it. It is nothing but propaganda. It is it has held this issue back for decades. But in any event, yeah, Helene's doing interviews. A lot of people see here's the here's the dilemma that everybody, everybody in this town is facing, and even up in New York. This is the biggest event in human history going down. Who doesn't want to be part of it? Who doesn't want to get interviewed? Who doesn't want to write something? I mean, my Lord, yeah. But on the other hand, you're limited in what you can say because the truth embargo is still in place. You keep, talking, whoa, whoa, whoa. You keep talking about the truth embargo. Where is the law that says if you talk about this yeah, as a reporter, dig into it, put in Leavenworth or worse? It's not a law. Over the last 75 years, there have been countless instances – all of which are not on paper, in which editors, publishers, news producers, TV, all journalists have sort of let a reporter know uh, we're not going to cover that. And that's all you need. Thousands and thousands and thousands of those instances in which uh, people are basically told you can't go there. It is an institutionalized uh, policy 
it is national security based and it is legal. And and there's other the government's done a lot Except, of things. Except <clears throat> he said in response, every yeah. time a new piece of video comes out, the Pentagon, either under Trump or now under Biden, rushes out there to certify its authenticity like they can't wait to let journalists know something has changed. We want you to report on this favorably. Not exactly. When the TTS launch, TTSA launched and put that website up with those, with those, uh, without those bios. But that's five years people, ago. This is now 2021. Was, uh, this is no, moving. I'm, 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 this is I'm moving at warp a, nine. Yeah, but I'm making a point here, Richard. When it first came out, the Pentagon front office didn't even know about it. And that was then. They, and this they, is now. They, that's what I'm I saying. I know. And so what? And that's that's the point I was making earlier. Agenda moved forward. Everybody had to figure it out and decide whether they were going to get on board. And the Pentagon made the decision, we're going to get on board. In other words, if you, if you have concluded and possibly gotten information from your contacts within the military intelligence complex, they all have contact. They all talk to each other. They all go, what's going on? Oh, yeah, this, that, whatever. And you've concluded that we're heading for the finish line here. Okay, uh, Steve, you, uh, sorry to be a, you know, a thorn under the saddle blanket, but you no, keep saying the Pentagon got on board. Who's yeah. running the show? Who's the ultimate top of the pyramid? Who there is no top allows of the pyramid. people – you mean no one's in control? No, I didn't say that. I'm saying think of a pyramid that's, you know, that's cut off at the midsection. Like the Great right? Pyramid it tapers, at Giza. It, it, yeah, it tapers up. But then it's that's it stops there. So you've got a substantial area there. Right. Washington, America is a huge tableau of entities, institutions and so forth. And the way we move forward is that these things interact with each other, cooperate. Sometimes they don't cooperate. The president is supposedly the CEO of all this, though he's got a massive staff and massive people working for him, many of which are forming policy. And so. When everything, when all the moving pieces, when all the parts are moving together properly, like with a high-tech sports car, it moves forward well. But there's no one thing that makes that car go forward. There's a lot of things. And when they don't go well, the car doesn't go anywhere at all. The United States is a broken-down car, has been for some time, is monumentally important and vast. And so when it finally comes that we're able to move toward the truth, ending the truth embargo, which isn't really on the table until the TTSA announces. I'm telling you, that was the Rubicon. Those two articles and, and the TTSA was the Rubicon. That's when it starts to become real for everybody in this town. There's no one person sitting see, up on the everybody, sending them emails. Everybody in the hinterlands, the UFO people are following all this. I've seen more blogs in the last two weeks saying, beware, danger, Will Robinson, this is a PSYOP. Don't trust what's going to come out. It's a PSYOP. It's a PSYOP. Yeah. Well, so, how do we guard against – how uh, PSYOP no, means guard there's an agenda. Truth is suborned to, to selective you know, memory, selective facts, selective evidence. There is, there's, there's a channel for getting people to think a certain way, like, for instance, announcing in this leak, which I do believe was planted to plant firmly. It's not our stuff. And, of course, those of us involved in this – of course, some of it is our stuff. It just may not have been what was flying around the Nimitz and the Theodore well, Roosevelt. I mean, I mean there, our stuff occasionally gets 
miscast as, uh, as, as unidentified, but it's not common and it's not important. The only thing that's important is the stuff that we can identify that's doing things we can do. No, 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 do. no. I'm not talking about what's visible in the sky. I'm talking about secret technology. We have mastered anti-gravity. We've had anti-gravity yeah. in the closet for, for 100 years. That's possible. Yeah. No, it's 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 a reality, Steve. Accept it no, from I, me. No, okay, as, okay. As it is a reality. I think we, so, have, we have the technology. So then the and danger. I think we have so the danger, and with that free energy, and with that incredible biological advances that make uh, you know the COVID nineteen response pale by comparison, all of this is going to inevitably fall out of the woodwork when there are hearings and people have the lid lifted. The so-called truth embargo is removed because you can't control where this is going to go. Let me bring in Joseph. Joseph, you're being very, very patient. I, I presume you have some I am. thoughts on this. Fascinating. Um, you know, I love listening to Steve Bassett, and it's not the first <laughs> that time. Makes, that makes two of us. That's why he's on the show tonight. But well, I, know, I want your a thoughts. better guest to have on any radio show anywhere. Um, the, the way that he has given it 24 years of intense uh, study he knows the players and he knows the moves and he knows it better than anybody else on the planet. I, I think he doesn't know it as well as some of the ETs, but beyond that, <laughs> you mentioned Obama was the most beloved figure in the, in the democratic party. There's another player. There's another candidate who ran for federal office and called for UFO disclosure, said he was going to open the files. And that was Jimmy Carter in 1976. I remember him saying these things and, uh, there are stories of him being, um, uh, interacting with uh, then CIA director George Herbert Walker Bush and um, being confronted with some reality that left him in tears. Um, he's a gentleman now uh, and a true gentleman. And I think another American hero, um, uh, a man who dedicated his life to public service and habitat for humanity. And he's got nothing left to lose. I, I wish somebody would ask Jimmy Carter in this new environment, uh, where it certainly seems a lot safer to talk about these things and that they're taken seriously, uh, what he might like to well, say. Well, as stuff. these reporters come up to speed, remember, for most of them, it's like, mm -hmm. what? This stuff is real? I really would yeah. kind of uh, quibble with Steve that a yeah. lot of people I, I, in the journalism community know this is all real. I, From the folks I talk to, they're completely gobsmacked that this is now being taken yeah. seriously. Um, uh, my experience as well, I have friends who aren't, this isn't even on the radar yet, but, but among those who find it fascinating, of course, it's like Disneyland now is <laughs> set off the fireworks show. Yep. Um, but it's gearing up. It's not going to go away. I, th I think it's hit a tipping point where the competition. Well, I think Steve said it appropriately at the top of the show. He said, we've crossed the Rubicon. I do not yeah, see this. I do not see this. Hang on. Do not see this as Lucy in the football where we've been many times no. on this before. I think no. this is real. We are pregnant. The question is, what's going to get great. Steve's great at saying to NBC and ABC, hey, CBS is out in the lead. And then, you know, uh, hey, New York Times just uh, put you down the post in the post. And so you get that. He's got a great photo you got to put up of what a media feeding frenzy looks like. It's all these sharks with their mouths <laughs> open. And I think we're headed that way. And it's inevitable. Yeah, we're in um, isn't healthy days. competition wonderful, gentlemen? It's just, of course, it's just gearing up. But I, Steve, do you think it's inevitable that it leads to that level of a media frenzy? Is that oh, a month away? The biggest media, away? the biggest media frenzy that I've ever experienced was the Monica Lewinsky case, and I was in Washington yeah. at the time, and it was insane. I mean, it was literally insane. And the most, uh, the, the most uh, vivid uh, image I have of that period. 
is that Monica Walensky had to come in and, and I don't know, to uh, before the district court. And so she's going to be there in person. And the district court is downtown, and I happen to be going downtown, and there's a big circular thing that goes around most of it, right? And, and the sidewalk on the district court side, as far down the left as you can see and around and to the right, was nothing but white TV um, trucks Some with the fishes on top. I mean, nothing but that. And it was a madhouse. And it went on for some time. It was a full-fledged media frenzy. It's the only one I've ever personally experienced. Now, the one that's coming is going to surpass that by a magnitude or two. We're seeing the early stages of it. And as I've said, countless times. And it will be international. Uh, well, yeah, uh, let's, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's going to be worldwide. And every country will have its own version. Let's just focus on the United States. Uh, it will, no, I'm saying it's going to be international. The press, international press in Washington are going to be oh, yeah. incredibly visible with satellite trucks, reporters, microphones, oh, God, yeah. camping on the lawns, all that stuff. And when these hearings start, that's when the – I don't know when the feeding frenzy will really get underway. I would project it would happen when the hearings are called particularly if they're called fairly quickly, meaning not, okay, in the next six months, we need old hearings. And by the way, if they say that, there's going to be some real, <laughs> real serious action on social media, but that could do it. Or there's something else I'm waiting for. And that is at some point, the Clintons are going to step into this. Uh, the question is when, right? Mm. Uh, every, everybody of any importance in this town, Podesta, the Clintons, Obama, people over at ONI and everybody else, are trying to, to, to see how they're going to participate. What are they going to say so that they, they look good? In other words, I said this is a public relations-driven uh, extrication process. We're going to get out from under the truth embargo. We're going to come out smelling like a rose. Now, should I say something now or should I wait? If I get this asked question, I'm Obama, I get asked this question. Do I give a strong answer, a weak answer? They're having to keep it okay, all well, Hang on a second. Hang on, because I've got the quotes right here. Obama was speaking on this New York Times podcast. There's back to your competition, mm-hmm. Stephen. Uh, he was asked what he thought would happen if we could prove there are aliens probing Earth but we're unable to make contact with them or interact with them. He said, this is a direct quote, it's interesting. It wouldn't change my politics at all because my entire politics is premised on the fact that we are these tiny organisms on this little speck floating in the Mm -hmm. middle of space. He goes on, but no doubt there would be immediate arguments about like, well, we need to spend a lot of money on weapon systems to defend Mm -hmm. ourselves. New religions would pop up. Not possibly, he says, they would. And who knows, he goes on, what kind of arguments we get into. We're good at manufacturing arguments for each other. The CBS News broadcast Mm -hmm. an expose which detailed uh, the 60 Minutes thing, obviously, uh, is where all this came from. In other words, he has gone to the end of of the road and is talking ETs and implications on society and later in the show, I want to talk about why should we care about any of this stuff? Why have we devoted our lives, Stephen, you on, you know, ETs, me on extraterrestrial archaeology, um, uh, Joseph on the ethics and morals of interacting? Why have we all done this? 
if it wasn't in our own minds the most important thing. And according to former president, it's not trivial either. Yeah, it, what, you know, the quotes about what I remember, the, the idea about religions might spring up. That's a given. That, that happens any time you have a major change. But he said arguments would come on about spending money on defense. That got turned into Obama says we're going to have to spend trillions of dollars uh, on the Internet. So, I mean, you know, that's what it got turned into. It was wrong. He simply said the arguments will come up and we argue. If you, you remember, he's, he's not speaking from notes. He's asked a question that he can only answer to a limited degree, just like when he was on Kimmel, just like when he was on Colbert, just like when he was on Ellen DeGeneres. What was important, he was being asked a question about this, but he can't say. Wait, wait. Did you see the interaction between the Fox reporter and Biden on this very subject a couple of days ago? Biden is in a particularly tough position. Did you see it? No, I did not. I did. Let me tell you what happened. It was very interesting. Fox thinks they're going to set up the current president, right, and lays out what Obama has said. And then he asks the president, you know, what is your response? And he kind of looks at the reporter with a kind of a smirk, and he says, why don't you go back to Obama and walks off? So he pitched it back to the guy who's running point as the former president who's out there talking about all the big implications. Basically, maybe he pitched it, but he basically just evaded the question. You see, Biden in particular has got to stay away from this issue. Now, Psaki is getting asked questions uh, in the briefing room. Also, the Pentagon guy got asked a question, and his response was very interesting. And, and you, what you're seeing is you're not really seeing the smirking. You're not seeing the laughing. What you're seeing is unease. All right, why are you seeing unease? Because they, they have to answer these questions. They can't just throw them off, they, but they have to work around them because, again, it's premature. Yeah, you words. don't want to get ahead of the hearings. So the hearings the are hearings going to be a live actuality yeah. with real witnesses, and they will be riveting, riveting. And it's extremely important to Biden that when these hearings take place, he has as little on the record on this mm-hmm. as possible. Agree. He wants to be in a position where he is having that testimony. Which is why I think he tossed it back to Obama, who Whatever. has the he freedom the as a president, as a guy who's done his homework, who knows something about this. He, he, in other words, to me, it was an elegant deflection back to, yes, a voice of authority, but it's not this White House. It's his former White House. Well, he, he, he talked about it. Remember, he talked about it during the campaign. So he's kind of on the record, but off, again, with evasive, somewhat evasive answers. But there was something else he told Fox News that's very interesting. In other words, <laughs> look, everybody wants to get some credit here. I mean, look, I don't blame him. Everybody, even remotely connected to this issue, wants to get credit. This is the most profound event in human history. Obama does have a connection. And so one of the sense things he said was, I tried to get something, right, during, I think, his second term. He says, I tried to get something. Uh, and that's important because that confirms what we've been saying for some time, that the reason he bought, brought Podesta in and forced Podesta to leave his job as CEO of Amer- the Center for American Progress is so they could discuss this issue with the privacy of the White House without press. And, of course, 
that's when uh, and, and then uh, Leslie Kane could come in and talk to them. And uh, and then Podesta essentially confirmed that in his tweet on February 13th, just as he left the, his job as the advisor, when he said, uh, my biggest regret for 2014 is once again not getting hashtag disclosure of the UFO file. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of confirmed there was some effort going on in the 2014 period, going up towards the end of the year, actually till February 13th of 2015, that they maybe get something going. Okay, but hold Why it there. They be- We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning, Steve Bassett, who has been on this trail for essentially a quarter of a century. The ET presence, its current interactions, totally unacknowledged. Still unacknowledged, but is this a prelude to eventually, through the modicum of hearings, this testimony and evidence, images, video, metal sample? Who knows what a open, live, night by night by night, because you know it's got to be held in prime time, hearing with military witnesses is going to reveal and maybe reveal things that certain parties do not want to be revealed. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. And I have a very important question uh, about the Washington Post to ask Steve when we come back. Don't touch that dial. Side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone. On this Saturday night, grading into Sunday morning, June 5th, 2021, we're discussing the eve before the perfect storm. It's not exactly the eve. It's going to be a run-up of, you know, a couple, three more weeks. But there is an official government report, which is going to be delivered to a publicly answerable Senate committee on intelligence, 
It is a joint report because it's basically been authorized by the current uh, Democratic chairman of the committee and the former Republican chairman of the committee. And uh, we know that because they're all on record in television, in newspaper reports, in mainstream media of many different stripes on many different continents. I mean, look at how The Guardian in uh, in England is covering this. <clears throat> and they're uh, a few thousand miles away. Steve, I want to come back to you about the uh, content of both of these major stories, the Post piece on the 1st of June and the New York Times piece where the leak occurs on the 3rd. You said you wanted to get into some of the juicy details. I think now it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty. Why are you encouraged by what these two major papers wrote this week? Unmuting helps. Uh, the passion of the activist. Um, yeah, the, the uh, first of all, top people in these papers are being put on these stories. Bingo. Secondly, they're being put out with gusto, right? Uh, and the, they're, they're, they're digging now into the, the key elements. Uh, they are serious journalism. And uh, more, most importantly, the two major papers in the United States are competing with each other to see who can get ahead of this major story. And so that is unprecedented. Nothing like it has happened before. Uh, and it's, but, it, but it's not isolated. There are other things happening, which clearly demonstrate to me we're in the last weeks and months of the truth embargo. It's a matter of when. Uh, I think this summer, I was hoping it'd be a little sooner, but the pandemic, uh, how would you say, extended longer than we would have liked. That's the principal factor, timing factor right now. And so the stuff, they're filled with stuff. Um, the, the New York Times report is important because it's a leak uh, about the report ahead of time about the classified section, which obviously gives it a lot of gravitas, right? Another part of it I found fascinating. Here's, here's a, a section. They're talking to an official, a senior. By the way, there's a number of non-brain, uh, unnamed uh, uh, intelligence people involved in this article, now, when a major paper like the Times starts writing about important stuff with unnamed people, what that tells you, if you understand journalism, is that they've got it locked down. They know exactly what's going on. Otherwise, you do not go out there and say, well, we, a senior official briefed on the intelligence said, no name here, without hesitation, the U.S. officials knew it was not American technology. Of course they did. He said there was worry among intelligence and military officials that China or Russia could be experimenting with hypersonic technology. Russia has been investing heavily in hypersonics, believing the technology offers it the ability to evade American missile defense. Now, again, this, this is funny. Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. Hypersonic technology is thousands of miles per hour. These things on radar go from 80,000 feet to the deck in one second. That's not the half of it, right? If a hypersonic missile were to fly over Washington, D.C., at the, at the level of maybe 1,000 feet, sound wave blast would throw out most of the windows in Washington, D.C., and you would probably be deaf for at least an hour, all right? Mm. So that's hypersonics. And so they're bringing this up as like, oh, the Tic Tacs must be, could be hypersonics. Of course not. <laughs> it makes no sense. Any reasonable scientist, are you out of your mind? But again... Don't look for it to make sense. 
try to read all of these things in the context that everybody is trying to deal with, answer questions, write about something they can't actually uh, completely go full on. They're having to hedge their bets. There's lots of reasons for that. But whatever, they're hedging their bets. And so a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. Of course, it can't be hypersonics. Any, an idiot should know that. <laughs> All right. But what the, people, the pilots saw, and, and by the way, tic-tac-type devices were seen back in the 50s, not the 80s. And it goes back all the way to then. Again, so why don't people just come out and say this? Why am I saying this? And Carter is not saying it. And, and Trump is, I mean, not, well, Trump didn't really say it. And of course, Obama is not saying it. Why am I able to say that? Because I don't have any limits. I never worked for the government. I don't have any security clearances. I don't have any NDAs. I can say any damn thing I want. And so, but why do I do that? Could I, could I upset the apple cart? Not really. I don't have the power or the, the gravitas to really move this thing one way or the other. But the one thing I can do is help prepare the public for what's coming and kind of clarify it for them so they have a better understanding. Nobody else is going to do that. Obama's not going to do it. He's not going to come out and say, look, uh, let, me, let me talk to you all, American people. Look, I need to clarify what's going on. No, he can't do that. None of them can do it because what is happening is the United States, the military intelligence complex, the political class, the military serve, all of that, are trying to finally get out from not just a misunderstanding, not just a few lies about Iraq, about a 74-year lie and, and, and restraint on the truth, any truth, but the most profound truth in human history from the world. At the same time, the phenomenon is going on all the time, and every year more and more millions of more people realize, well, the government's lying. They're trying to get out from under this. This has never happened before. And they're trying to do it so that it doesn't damage too many people, doesn't damage the politics, doesn't uh, you know, uh, upset the economy, whatever the hell. They're, and, and they want to win. They want to look at it and they want to win. And they may just pull it off. The trouble is it's taking too long. You see, something I didn't get to before, that people will say, wait a minute, what? Okay, you're saying that Obama brought Podesta into the White House as an advisor so they could talk freely about the ET issue. Okay. And you're saying that Leslie Kane visited. Okay. Why? Why, why would they do that, right? Well, because in that time frame, 2014, going into 2015, I don't think there was anybody in the Obama administration that even considered the possibility that Hillary Clinton wasn't going to be the president. It was a done deal, a fait accompli, right? And so what do you think they thought she was going to do when she was president? particularly after she starts talking about it, particularly after the articles are coming out. So, so it's like, okay, we need to talk about this too because she's a Democrat and I'm, I'm this president and she's the next president and there needs to be a kind of a, a, some sort of a flow here, what have you. And so I think that's what they're strategizing and talking about. And then the Podesta leaves. Obama really shuts up about this until the, the pressure starts to mount because of all the articles being written, Washington Times, New York Times, Washington Post. And so he does go out and say a few things, again, somewhat evasively. Clinton got more direct. She got very direct because she didn't think she could lose. Nobody thought she could lose. And so if you, what was supposed to happen was the TTSA was supposed to launch after she won the election and then go to the New York Times. And the New York Times articles were probably going to be published before she even was inaugurated. And by the time she walks into the White House, 
She's got 500 reporters dying to know why she was talking about ETs and UAPs and the New York Times article and the the stories coming out. And she goes, oh, yeah, 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 no, I'm on that. And next thing you know, she's holling the hearings and she's the disclosure president. It's not even spring of 2017. Everybody's happy. That election was a nuclear bomb that went off in the middle of one of historic history's most profound and important historical events. And it just went off in the middle of it. Okay. Mm. And it had to all be put back together over the next four years. You know, Steve, from the last time we talked about this to talking about it tonight, um, I've I've had some other information come to me and I think you're, I think you're now, well, I, I can share the information. I can't share the source. I think your assessment is absolutely right because certain things happened in that time frame, that 2016, uh, 2015 time frame that were predicated on that being the disclosure window, Hillary being the disclosure president, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And the Trump election out of the blue was such a shock that the system could not respond in any official way, and it, it, it's taken another administration to put the original, I think, timetable back on track. Well, I, minus I, the pandemic that. problems. Yeah, you, you could generalize that. You could say it. it could, it's taken a a stabilization and normalization of American politics. We we really haven't got there yet, but it's better than it was. It's taken us to a plate where it's doable. Right. Is it ideal? Oh, absolutely not. But and, and this is this is interesting. You said something very important predicated upon. Why do you think why do you think Tom DeLonge was communicating for months with John Podesta and introducing him to potential members of the eventual to the stars Academy team that was supposed to be the launch probably again, the end of 2016 and having meetings with him and interviewing him on it camera. Was, and so it forth. was obviously the runway. It was the runway. Yeah. Well, he didn't go over to the Republican National Committee. He didn't talk to them. <laughs> He's talking to Podesta because she's going to be the president. Yeah. It's a fait accompli. Yeah. It's a done deal. Okay, let, so me, let, me, they, let me. We don't have a lot of time. We have, we have time, but we don't have a lot. Let me switch gears from the Times to the Washington Post because I'm really yeah. fascinated by Ashley Parker's role in this. So mm. talk about some of the details in the Post piece that make you really encouraged. Oh, this is so wonderful. Understand that over the last many, many years, I have been pouring information into the Post every way I could. All right. I've given extensive interviews to a number of reporters. I've been written up, but the amount of information I give them is a tiny fraction of what it ends up in the Post. And so you try to build up a certain knowledge base with any major paper because you never know when they're going to they're going to or use network. It, right? Remember, I've done CNN, or, or, I've done Fox. Right. All the, you know, you you become yeah. part of the resource bank. And when something breaks, who are you going to call? You're going to call the guy yeah. or gal who gave you the previous good stuff. And and as you would know as well as anybody, getting becoming a resource bank for the UAP ET issue with any high level operation is brutally difficult. Um, okay, so she, she starts off right away. She says that early April, former CIA director All James Woolsey told the Black Vault. Okay, so what's happened here? Well, first of all, James Woolsey was a CIA, was a CIA director, and when he was a CIA, 
CIA director, is when John Peterson, the head of the Arlington Institute, a think tank based in Roslyn, set up a dinner meeting so he could meet Stephen Greer. Things were cooking back then, mm-hmm. right? This is leading up towards the Greer press conference in 2001. So Greer and could Greer, meet Woolsey. Woolsey, that's right. The head and of the so, CIA. Uh, that's right. When he was the director. Now, years later, Greer, he talks about it, but years later when he actually puts it in his book, I think it was the book Disclosure, they, raised, they, were, they, were, they were pissed because I do not think he was supposed to do that. And so both Woolsey and Peterson come out and, and basically just throw massive shade on Greer. Stephen, Stephen who? Stephen Greer. Stephen Greer. Yeah. And it, it wasn't that way. It wasn't that way. Well, I, I actually saw emails. I know that they are the ones that lying. But it, it, it was back then in the 90s, and they didn't want to be associated with the issue in that way, not, not through Greer. Uh, probably regretted having a meeting. Woolsey contracts. You know, I could, you know, he's getting on TV all the time. They might cut him up, whatever the hell. So they lied. Okay, that's back then, right? We're talking uh, 90s, late 90s, all right? Recently, Woolsey came out and said that, yes, uh, uh, yeah, this technology, uh, this, these, these, uh, these uh, crap we're seeing, we, we can't explain them. He's getting on board the disclosure train. He's not the only CIA director. Brennan's getting on. Brennan has said some very strong things in the last week or so. Because the CIA directors know the ET presence is real. You can't be CIA director and not know that. I mean, it doesn't mean they take you down to the vaults and show you dead ET bodies. You're the CIA director. There's probably 500 people in the CIA headquarters dying to tip you off, right, if you don't know. Oh, yeah, it's real. You can't even see the stuff. The president can't. Whatever. The point is they know. But, but he can't touch it then. But now he can touch it. But then she says, our James Woolsey told the Black Bolt. Well, he, she's talking about uh, uh, John Greenwald, who interviewed him on his podcast. He's one of us. He's one of our guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, she actually mentions the Black Vault and puts a well, link wait, wait. to it. The fact that she led in the piece with a civilian activist as opposed to government, Pentagon, whatever, I thought was very interesting. Uh, she, and, and she goes on to a, a, a Black Vault, a website that collects paranormal case files. I don't like that statement. That's not accurate, but it's, it's, it's uh, you know, not too bad. That he is not as skeptical as I was a few years ago, to put it mildly, UFOs, and that something is going on that is surprising to a series of intelligent craft experienced pilots. Okay, that is a perfectly reasonable statement. And a lot of people go, oh, wow, apparently James Woolsey has seen some things mm. that have turned his mind. No! Very worthy He's known of... about the ET present for 30 years, Steven, minimum, Steven, if not sooner. Steven, yeah. it's very worthy of an Emily Dickinson quote. Yeah, it's well, a slanted again. truth. Come on. Yeah, but, it, but I don't like the word slant. It is, it is. Would you it like is oblique? A lie. It is a lie with a purpose. It's not trying to so much get around something as used to be the case, but rather to avoid creating a problem that is preventing actually getting to the truth. Okay. Now, in the second paragraph, she says, speaking to 60, CBS is 60 Minutes last month, Senator Marco Rubio said that while UFOs can still prompt a giggle from some lawmakers, I don't know who, well, we have some lawmakers that you could expect anything from. <laughs> uh, I don't think we can let the stigma keep us from having an answer to a very fundamental question. What is stigma? Stigma is the, is the blood 
of the truth embargo. All right. That's that's what keeps it going, pumping through its veins year after year after year. And they're saying we can't let the stigma. Okay, great. And so Rubio is mentioned in the second paragraph. So we've got the former ranking chair of the Senate Intel Committee. Now the uh, I say the former chair and now the ranking chair. We've got a former CIA director in the first two paragraphs, along with John Greenwald and his wonderful Black Vault, a major project, by the way. And a day after Rubio's comments aired, former President Barack Obama told So CBS, wait, wait, wait. See, what you have there, and she's done this brilliantly, she sets up the triumvirate government, you know, CIA agencies, mm-hmm. spooks, mm-hmm. Yeah. civilian activists, mm-hmm. American people wanting to know, and then a currently elected senior senator who's a major figure in the Republican Party. It's sure. A, it's a brilliant then, triumvirate cross – Cross, what would you call it, Joe? Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's some term cross I'm missing. Party line? Cross uh, jurisdictions, triple play, cross, whatever. Yeah, in and other words, in other words, she she is she is bilaterally, trilaterally crossing the field. So, in those first two paragraphs, people know this is serious. In the, yeah, but she gets better. In the coin of the, of the realm, play. in the coin of the realm of Washington, which is political speak. If politicians don't go on the record on something, it doesn't happen. So, okay. Well, in the third paragraph, she brings in the president, pr- former president. After, and a day after Rubio's comments aired, former President Barack Obama told CBS the, uh, the, the late show with James Corden. Now, a lot of people will read that and go, oh, wow, he said something on a late show. Uh, yeah, he was on uh, Colbert. He was on Kimmel. He was on Degeneres during the Hillary Clinton's campaign in I 2016. Think that, I, I, I think Alan pronounces it Degeneres. I think it's Degeneres, whatever. And I'm actually – and he says what is true, and I'm actually being serious here, is that there is footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. This is essentially the key talking point, yes. which, was, which was arrived at not by memos being sent out to every major – power player in, in town, but sort of arrived to by uh, in, individually as a kind of collective consensus. They're, these are very smart people. They're figuring out what's going on. That is the talking point. Objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. And then the complementary talking point is that the technology is beyond anything that we have. Okay, then the fourth paragraph. UFOs also known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAPs, <laughs> in official parlance, right? And, and that, by the way, UAP is becoming official parlance, are having their moments in po- part politics and partisan ones. Why is this important? Something I've said many times, and I'm, I'm not trying to throw shade on either of you fellows, but look, UFO is the seed kernel of the truth embargo. It's the badge you wear on your chest that says, oh, you're one of those people, all right? It's what puts you in the ghetto, the intellectual ghetto that the, the, the government created for this. It, it's been heaped with ridicule and stigma for 70 years. And so the, the use of the word immediately separates you out from everybody else, even if you walked on the moon. And so we had to get rid of that term. UAP means exactly the same thing, but it doesn't have 70 years of stigma attached to Except it. Except in right? the headline writer's mind, he said UFOs, not UAPs. 
Uh, yeah, the headline. The, the writers don't do the headlines. Never, never be concerned about the headline. She's going out of her way, just like Hillary Clinton did when she went on Kimmel and went out of her way and said there's a new term now. It's called UAPs. Why is that important? Because if you're going to be the disclosure president, if you're going to get into this, you'd like to do it and not be attached to the stigma. You don't, you don't want all that stuff following you in the door. Right, like a piece of toilet paper stuck mm-hmm. on your shoe as you board Air Force One. So UAP <laughs> is, is outside the stigma. Okay, all right. So then she goes on. This month, President Biden's Director of National Intelligence. Now she's brought in him. We'll release a report containing everything unclassified that the U.S. government knows. It's not going to contain everything. No, of course not. That the U.S. government knows about UAPs. That would that. That, that would take them probably two years to put together, and they'd have to deliver it in, in, in semi-tractor exactly, trips. Exactly, yes. As, as part of the provision contained in the former President Trump's pandemic relief bill. When the report lands as early as this week, it will do so in a moment of rare agreement across ideological spectrum that UAPs are worthy of further study. Now, this is really important. Look, all of the politicos in this town, all of the political journalists, if not all of the journalists, and most of the citizens of the district are praying to whatever God they have <laughs> at night before they go to bed that this hyper-partisan, endless, gridlocked shite fest will end somehow. And when they look around and they're seeing who can end it, who, not, there's nothing happening, okay? They can't end it. It seems to get worse. And then the capital was invaded. And so people are going, oh, man, what's it going to be next? And then here's this thing. Ashley Parker is a very smart woman. She knows that yep. this issue transcends the part bipartisanship. It could be the one thing that could finally change direction. She got that in the, in the headline. Governing. Put it right in the headline. From former Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton and former Democratic senator leader Harry Reid to Fox News host Tucker Carlson. She's not, now see what she's done in, in just a few paragraphs. She's gotten in James Woolsey, CIA director. She's gotten in the ranking member of the Intel Committee, Senate Intel Committee, Rubio. She's gotten in former President Barack Obama. Then she gets in President Biden uh, and Donald Trump. All right? She's really moving along. So when the report lands as early as this week, it will do so in a moment of rare agreement. An increasing number of Democrats and Republicans from former Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton and former Democratic Senate leader Harry Reid to Fox News host Tucker Carlson have expressed an openness to UAPs, urging the nation's leader to investigate the phenomena. Now, one of the things that you want to look for is that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton's connection to this issue goes back to 1993. He was savage as president, and so was she. Part of the reason for that is that they were letting Rockefeller in the door, and they were asking about the UFO files, which scared the bejesus out of the military intelligence community, which is one of the reasons I think they basically attacked him for everything they ever did in their life. Okay, They were going back to grade school and, and finding out she stuck gum under a desk, whatever. <laughs> okay, when she, and, and, then, and then they lose the, – the, their party loses the election by one vote in the, in the, in the Supreme Court, and Gore doesn't make it. And she leaves madder than hell. She was going to be president, and she was going to get the legacy her husband was denied. And he was denied that after the Cold War, not in 1970s, during the Cold War, like Carter. She was mad, okay? And so 
so so wait a minute. So 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 when at some point she and I tried to get her to come out. Obviously, I tried to get her to go far further than she did during that campaign. I was trying to get Marine Dow to interview her. We tried everything we could. Obviously, we would have loved to talk to Bill Clinton, but we, it was not possible, right? They locked it down. I get it, right? They, they, they were going to – they want to play it safe until they got to the White House, and then they could cut loose, all right? So at some point, though, as this thing moves forward, the pressure on Bill and Hillary Clinton, President Clinton and Secretary Clinton, to finally say something significant is going to become overwhelming. Do you think they're going to volunteer or have to be asked by a planted question like you tried to get Marine Dowd to do? Yeah, that's how it works. If, if, you, if you really need to step in, in other words, you still need to step into this issue because you do not want to be left behind. If you have a track record going back to 1993 and almost nobody on the stage here has that track record at all, and you've tried to do it and been and been rebuffed and humiliated by your own Department of Defense. As this thing really heats up and starts to move, do you, how long do you wait? All these other people, Rubio is getting emails from all mm. over the country about mm. what a what a hero he is. Yep. Tucker yep. Carlson is getting emails <laughs> from around the country from liberals telling him how, how what a hero he is. And Hillary and Bill are, are you know ensconced somewhere I don't know in a cabin in the woods, and and uh, they're. Their involvement is deeper than any of these people. When she steps forward and says something, that is all you need to know that we're just about ready to serve this dinner. So watch for that. Okay. And then, so she goes on. After this, and after this last year, it's kind of nice to see something that's bipartisan, said Robert Powell, executive board member of the Scientific Coalition. That's one of our guys. Right, the scientific coalition for UAP studies. So she brings one of our guys in. Then the next thing, she goes, and why now exactly? Because said former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, she brings Emanuel into it, mm. who served as Obama's chief of staff. It's all speculative, unknown, and a little science, science sci-fi, making it intriguing. She's literally, what, what's the word I'm looking for? She's literally giving shouts out to all these high-level people. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, because she's letting them know, hey, we're here. The next paragraph. The government. Hey, hold it there. We're at, the, we're at the top oh, of the hour. Okay. We shall resume. My guest this morning, Steve Bassett, and Joe Bookman is there. He needs to be a little more forceful in getting a word in edgewise because um, Steve can hold his own for three hours without even me here. So you are on the other side of midnight. We're trying to cover the background. Now, I, I know some people turn off of the word politics, but none of this. None of the reason why disclosure is crucial, in my opinion, and I think in Steve's and in Joe's, crucial for the survival of humanity. Literally, it's at that edge without the politics of how it actually happens. So pay careful attention. This is kind of like a scorecard for, for looking for the key things that are going to happen up ahead kind of like that Rod Serling thing, you know, the Twilight Zone, um, the signposts. Well, the signposts are telling us that we're on the eve of something extraordinary. What a time to be alive. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP2 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. When I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out. And welcome back to the Land of Enchantment. Literally, the other side of midnight now here in the uh, great American Southwest is a old friend of mine used to say, and it really is great. It is uh, of all the places I would like to be as this unfolds. There's two places. One is here and the other is kind of sitting, watching over Steve Bassett's shoulders as this all comes to a very, very interesting next several days and weeks. So Steve, Pick it up there. What else did Parker do in this piece that you really, really love? Mr. Bassett, unmuting helps. Hello, hello. Okay, I'm looking at all my switches. Everything is functioning, but I'm missing Steve. I wonder why we're missing Steve. Joe, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm having a problem with my headphones for some reason. Of course, of course. Okay, now, fixed. I heard a switch flip. There we go. It wasn't okay. a switch. It was a damn phono plug. Uh, anyway, go go ahead. As as of the last paragraph, she uh, – well, she brings in Clinton, right, which is very important. It says And, and, by, by, and, and uh, when I talked to her about 45 minutes, I reintroduced her to the whole campaign initiative that I did back in 2016 and all the articles. Good. And she and she and she puts it in, 
right? So, but, but it's significant. Because by 2015, while campaigning for president in New Hampshire, Clinton told the Daily Sun she thought Earth might have already been visited by extraterrestrial life and pledged to get to the bottom of it. Has anybody else, Woolsey, or anybody else gone that far? No. She did that back on December 31 of 2015. And now she keeps, she goes deeper. The following year, this is 2016, Clinton's interest in the phenomena earned her a full story in the New York Times. Hillary Clinton gives UFO buffs hope she will open the X-Files. That was by, um, oh God, hang on a second. I actually interviewed at the New York Times headquarters for that article, about an hour interview with, with the writer who I hope is still there at the time, Amy Chosick, one of their top political writers. Uh, and so she's referring to that very important article, blared the headline. John Podesta, a noted UFO file, now she's brought Podesta in, and Clinton's 2016 campaign chair, told CNN's Jake Tapper that if she won the White House, she'll ask for as many UFO records as the United States federal government has to be disclassified, declassified. What she just said is she will ask that all of our files related to this phenomena would be declassified. Of course, they probably were going to tell her, come back another time, we're not interested, in which case I think she'd have fired every one of them. And I think that's a commitment she intends to keep that I intend to hold her to. A lot of people have forgotten that these statements were made during that campaign. Why did they even go that far? I mean, they were under pressure from the press. Yeah, but wait, wait, they, let, me, let, let me raise a practical thing. Hillary Clinton is not president of the United States. Joe Biden is. How do we get Joe Biden to tackle this? Well, I, he's already in that process. No, he dismissed Fox by saying, go back and talk to Obama again. Because that's what he has to do. He doesn't, he's not going to engage the issue. What I'm trying to do here is show you how the Washington Post and this article, which is a brilliant article, is really adding more pressure to the process. In other words, they're sending out, we are now going back. We are going to that campaign. Eventually, they'll talk about the Rockefeller Initiative. They're going to keep talking about the Clintons. That's going to put pressure on Bill and Hillary to say something. In other words, they're, they're in it. They're in it to win it. And that's very important to know, right? And, and, and this is the article we have, right? But again, but it gets even better. It goes on and on. Next up, right, she goes, oh, and more recently, in addition to Woolsey, former CIA director John Brennan also expressed openness to UA. So she, now she brings in John Brennan, who has devoted portions of his primetime Fox show uh, and she brings in Carlson, who's uh, at that point. After the 60 who minutes, who was then, head of CIA under Obama and for a while uh, Trump? Yeah, Brennan coming around was huge. Okay, after the 60-minute segment on UFOs aired last month, Carlson said that the issue was a very big problem from a national security perspective, arguing that military under Biden is focusing on the right priorities. Well, who cares? But Carlson's now in play, right? So she brings him in play, and then <laughs> I love this. She brings in somebody else. Trump told ABC News' George Stephanopoulos in 2019 that he did not particularly believe in UFOs. But he was more coy about that topic when asked by his eldest son during an interview for his 2020 campaign to share some details about the 1947 incident in Roswell that holds outsized insignificance among the UFO believers. That is a terrible term, <laughs> one of the worst. But nevertheless, why am I amused by this? During the Rockefeller Initiative, the whole three years, do you know who was operating directly out of the White House as a top advisor to Bill Clinton 
while the Rockefeller Initiative was underway, George Stephanopoulos. That's right. Who left the administration as it finished up the first term to go to ABC News, where over the next, from, from the year uh, 2000 to now, 21 years, he has risen to the top of, of the news organization, atop of AC News. He is one of their absolute senior people. Mm-hmm. And in that entire 20 years, no, even though he knew all, he knew about the Rockefeller Initiative and what was going on, he has never touched the subject, never asked anybody connected to it a question, didn't bring it up in the, in the, in the presidential debates, but he finally did ask a question about it <laughs> to... Uh, Trump, okay? Uh, and so she goes on, right? And she gets down to, um, let's see. This is Ashley Parker now we're talking about. We're still talking. Now, now okay, a couple more paragraphs. She gets into some more people. In other words, she's just running down a list of people from all the sectors, putting them right into the Washington Post as, as a bureau chief. It's an it's overview saying, for those people who don't know what the hell's been going on by someone yeah. who they will trust because she's the White House bureau chief. But they're also sending a message to a whole lot of people in this town on this story. The Washington Post is open for business. Here's the paragraph. Christopher Mellon, a former on this subject, official, on, on this, this subject, subject yeah. a, a former intelligence official at the Defense Department and the Senate Intelligence Committee, who has worked to push UAPs into mainstream discourse, said there were two major turning points recently. A December 2017 New York Times article in which the Pentagon admitted the existence of its program to study UFOs, and public interviews with members of of the military talking about their personal encounters. What have I said? Mellon is the one setting up the hearings. Elizondo is the one talking to the witnesses to vet them ahead of those hearings. So now she's brought Mellon into play. And then she brings in some of the witnesses. In 60 Minutes segment, for instance, feature interviews with Commander Dave Fravor and Commander Alex Dietrich, Two former FA, FA-18 pilots offering their firsthand accounts of a 204 incident in the Pacific Ocean uh, off, off the southwest of San Diego, where they say they encouraged, they encountered and tried to engage with this little white tic-tac. So she's now connecting back to the original time stories. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then she says, coming from, this, from the U.S. military, that's the one institution in our government that everybody still supports pretty much. And the one institution in our government that everybody still trusts, pretty much. But he added, the turning point came when the U.S. government formally acknowledged that UAP videos were authentic and the phenomena was real. That happened in two announcements. It didn't come from the government. It came from the Navy. The Navy broke ranks. Well, broke wait, ranks. wait, wait, wait. The Navy. the Navy is the government. Come on. Well, yeah, but specifically from the Navy. All right. They, they, they acknowledge uh, that the uh, videos were authentic, which – Calm down. Well, a lot it was of their decisions. pilots and their aircraft carriers, so of course yeah, they, didn't, they didn't have to do that. The, the TTSA was being attacked. The videos were being challenged by various geniuses on the internet that were saying that they were actually, I don't know, paper bags blowing up <laughs> from the beach. Whatever. The point is that that that, that was the Navy getting on board the uh, the train. Next paragraph. She brings in somebody else, Adam Gentleson, a former top aide to read in the Senate, said that as the country moves its faith away from institutions, a growing openness to the paranormal makes sense. This, the ET issue is not paranormal. There is no such thing as paranormal, and that's an improper term. But not everybody's learning the proper language at the same time, and my job is to help them get there, all right? So 
she goes on. She finally brings in Dennis Kucinich. I mean, don't oh, forget Dennis. Good old Dennis. He pointed, he pointed to Dennis Kucinich, the former Democratic congressman in Ohio, who was mocked during the 2008 Democratic presidential primary debate after being asked about a book by actress Shirley McCain, who wrote that Kucinich had a UFO sighting. That was a momentous event. And after the debate is when Bill Richardson was asked about Roswell and practically turned white as a sheet. And when he gave his answer, uh, Matthews, uh, Chris Matthews, practically had an embolism. He couldn't believe it. Those were the days. Uh, it didn't happen, right? Mm. Okay. But now this subject today is considered seriously by a lot of scientists, Bow said. Okay. After Obama expressed his openness to UAPs last month, Fox News' Peter Doshi, she brings in another Fox News person, recounted the former president's comments to Biden and asked him what he thought I would ask him. Biden said to laughter, brushing off the question. Biden has to brush off the question. All right. Then she brings in Saki. In a White House briefing last week, Press Secretary Jen Saki offered a more serious response to a question on the UAP report, saying, "We take reports of incursions into our aircraft by any air, into our airspace by any aircraft, identified or unidentified, very seriously and investigate each one." That's interesting because if that is true, they got a lot more than 120 reports. They've got thousands of reports. Then she goes on. Administration officials are unlikely to weigh in further on UAPs until the reports release. A White House official said this is like the third non-named person. You do not do that unless you've got this thing tied up three ways to Sunday. This person added that Vice President Harris, in her role as head of the administration's National Space Council, that's convenient, is also likely to be briefed on the findings before they are released. Mm, okay. It goes on. She mentions the 2019 Gallup poll, right? Uh, and then finally, she gives me the clothes. Now, I'll tell you, I have to say when I read it, I, I was a little confused, and then I realized what she was doing here, okay? She knows th that I'm an activist, and I'm, I'm not like some – Defense Department official or a spokesperson for uh, the Department of State or anything like that, they're very constrained in what they can say and how they can say it. She knows that I don't have those constraints. And so when I talk about this stuff, I get very aggressive, and that's fine. I'm, I'm going to continue to be that way, which is not easy for a journalist to deal with. But she, I know that she drew on a lot of my information in the, in the earlier part of the article, and so she gives me the clothes. Okay, and this close has a lot of meaning, not just because I said it, but because she used it. She said Steve Bass is a registered lobbyist and a political activist and a disclosure advocate. She asked me for those those uh, 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 labels. Right. She wanted to get it right. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, I try to emphasize that the registered lobbying is a small portion of what I do. It's very difficult to lobby. And that's OK. I am a registered lobbyist. I'm I'm still. I may be the only one because the second person had to drop out, but there may be some. Oh, and there's a pact that just formed. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Someone who pushes for the formal acknowledgement by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. That is disclosure. That is. The well, it's even more than disclosure. that because she closes with the idea. Oh, ultimately, yeah. we're going to ETs, boys and girls. But then, but then she goes on, and now this is the punchline. Okay, remember, she, like everybody else in this town, is a Washingtonian. 
He's been working here mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. She's been following American politics for 20 years or more. Who you knows? don't get to be she, bureau chief unless you have. Right. And a and woman to boot. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I know that matters much, but 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 it's but still is, Steve. Is that, it still matters, okay? This yeah, well, is why yeah, it, this is why her going out on this limb tells us so much behind the scenes of what's going on at the post. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Though the women in this town now are pretty much so tough that they don't worry about that stuff. <laughs> they will kick you right in your knees, drop you like a like a like a bag of potatoes. Here, here. Then she then she closes, and this is where it gets important. In other words, she had 40 minutes of, of, of taped interview to draw on. He argues that being more forthcoming about UAPs will serve to strengthen the credibility of the evidence, fine, and the government itself, the credibility of the government itself. Remember, mm-hmm. all these people that have been working in, te- in, this, in this government, in Washington, whether in, in and out, they're in and they're out, they're in and they're out, have been watching the devolving – of American politics and, and, and common sense and, 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 and proper discourse for decades now. They are, they're, they're in a panic because they see how bad it's going. And not that long ago, a mass of people ransacked the Capitol. I mean, let me tell you, the people in this town, but we, we have to turn this around. Credibility of the government itself. And then the quote, great, great, great. I, the American people may hear from their government the biggest truth ever relayed to in, in a formal way to the human race. Bassett said, if, if now, if you're going to start truth telling to regain trust, why not start with a big one? <laughs> she Steven, is saying, perfect. Congratulations. I could not have done better. And you know, it takes something for me to say that. I, look, there was a lot of people in this article. There's a lot of players. I'm not, but you get the last I, I word as Lawrence O'Donnell has it, it, a show every night talking about. But it's the word that it's the actual word that matters. In other words, if the White House bureau chief is starting to see that the extrication of this country out from under the national, legal national security policy of truth embargo or confirmation embargo on this issue has the potential to break through the partisan gridlock, to bring people back to a higher level of trust, improve the discourse and help us get things done again, that's a good thing. Well, that's the gestalt of her piece starting with the headline. And if she's there, if she's the bureau chief and she's there, then a lot of reporters are going to get there. And so this could snowball very, very fast. And that's why I'm very excited. Uh, That's why I encourage everybody to look for any new articles. And let me remind your readers, your listeners rather, (laughs) that on my website, ParadigmResearchGroup.org, which in is the menu, linked, go to, which is linked in your in bio, your site, right? Go to go to the menu to resources, slide on down to print media archive, punch through, and punch through again. You get to the main archive, twelve thousand articles. Go to 2017. Go on down to December the 10th. There you will see the first two articles about the TTSA. It gets announced the next day. They're earmarked in red. If you then start reading those earmarked articles in red only, going forward in time, by the time you get to the present day, you will have read 850 articles mm. about the TTSA and all the subsequent developments that have it gener- was generated by it. All right, And then you get the picture. Then you can see, my God, this is so more, much more complicated, and yet 
large than I, than I imagined, and it'll start to make some sense, right? I put that resource up there. I've given that resource to a lot of people. I try to give it to reporters. I always send them a link because it's an incredible resource for them. They don't have to go hunt for anything. There it is. The actual mainstream media coverage, the high-end media, print media, of everything that's been going on, not fringe stuff, not, not conspiracy stuff, not you know, opinions and comments and Facebook posts, nothing wrong with them. I'm talking about the way the media is actually covering it. And let me tell you, in those 850 articles, I think one of them rises to the level of, of ridicule, one. All right. And that, so any, anybody wants to get on top of that. And then if you really want to become an expert, you go back to the menu, you go to uh, issues. Come on down with your cursor to TTSA, to the Stars Academy. Slide over to the to TSA Media. Click on that. What comes up is a page with 160 videos of both presentations by TTSA people, interviews of TTSA people, and video statements by various journalists and others related to all of this is going on. And it needs to be updated with 50 more videos, which mm-hmm. I'm going to do shortly, okay, if I don't have a heart attack tonight. So, so – my, my job is to not only inform people, but to create the resource for any journalist who says, oh, my God, i got to get in the story, to go right there and get completely caught up in about 24 hours. It also ought to be required reading in every college class dealing with anything related to politics, culture. It's an incredible resource, what Steve has created. And I've dug through it and can't find a single typo. That was my official typo finder, and let me tell you, he never he never uh, does not tell me. uh, But there are some there, Joe. But I have been fixing them as I've been browsing. Okay, Joe, I'm 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 so glad you spoke up because I wanted to ask you again, as someone who's been in this field separate from both Steve and me, what are your thoughts of where we are tonight on the eve of whatever the hell is going to happen? Well, I I think. I've described Steve Bassett in the past, uh, and I mean this in a a friendly way, but it's it's also somewhat critical. In the past, I've described Steve as the most overly optimistic human being I've ever met. And he said that you've got to be that way to be an activist. You've got to be that way, whether you're fighting for civil rights or marriage equality in the LGBTQA community, or you were fighting for equal rights for women. These were impossible battles or so it seemed at the time. You just had to fight and fight and fight and fight. And then there's a crack and the wall comes crumbling down. Um, I'm sharing that optimism now. It seems to me like we have reached a tipping point where the toothpaste can't be put back in. On both coasts of this nation are craft that defy all known laws of physics, that they're transmedium, that Uh, can remain airborne for uh, 10 times longer than our best uh, aircraft or or longer, have no control surfaces, no exhaust, clearly aren't burning petroleum, use some alternative energy that could revolutionize the world on both coasts. That's what's there. No evidence they're alien, but a lot of evidence they're not human. (laughs) Um, I would like to ask Steve a question because it's more fun for me. Yeah, by all means, I was just asking if you had a question. Steve, Steve has struck, struck right in the heart of the news media inside the Pentagon in a publication called Task and Purpose mm. uh, in an article written by a former student of mine when I was teaching at Indiana University, a guy named Jeff, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, Schogel. 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 And so um, talk about that, Steve, because you're quoted in a, in a, print, in a 
print publication and online. I'm, I don't think it's only online, but it, it's read by people inside the Pentagon. It's titled Task and Purpose. Well, it's more than that. Uh, I, I didn't know about Jeff. You might have mentioned him, but uh, I didn't realize who he was. He is, I kept copying. He, you've got at least a dozen emails of, I've sent to him and you encouraging him to go to you to be hmm. briefed. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember. That was a while ago, and I just spaced it out. I'd I've forgotten been about it. Years. It's been going on for a couple of years. I said he's in the National Press Club. He's got an office. Go, go over there. Let him brief you on this subject. Um, Jeff used to write for Stars and Stripes. But at any rate, yeah. now Steve's quoted by Jeff in Task and Purpose in the heart of the Pentagon. Well, yeah, he, but I think obviously the reason he didn't get in touch with me right away is because he didn't see the, uh, the situation. Or, like every or it wasn't steamboat time. Well, again, in other words, he's, he's, he's wa- everybody is watching what's going on. And obviously the Department of Defense has been all over the news lately. And he remembered the context. So he calls me. Okay. And I learned he's been a, he's a Pentagon correspondent. He goes to the press. He goes to the press briefing. He's been following it. He's got contacts there. So he's a, and remember, I told you Julian Barnes was a Pentagon correspondent. Okay. So, uh, and I, so great. So I gave him an interview and he, it's a fine story. Uh, it's absolutely, he, he actually can do humorous stuff. He said he was going to do kind of a light piece. It's not a light piece. Uh, in fact, it's a serious piece all the way. Uh, and he brings up all the the various things. Do we have this piece uh, linked uh, in in your section of Radio with Pictures? I did. I can send. I can text the link to Cynthia uh, right now. Yeah, put it in the put it in the Skype window because we'll put it up for the people listening to the show. We got a half an hour left, and of course the archive Club nineteen point five. I first met Jeff twenty one years ago. He was a student of mine, and I. Uh, telecommunications course at Indiana University. I remember him because we were talking about how there was this new technology coming that would link wireless devices that was named after a Scottish warlord named Bluetooth. And um, uh, Jeff was in that class, I think, in the fall of 2000 or in the spring of 2001. Um, Went on to the Pentagon, went on to write for Stars and Stripes. And whenever I go to D.C. to visit Steve, I'd also have lunch with Jeff. And, you know, he laughed off this issue, and I kept saying, you got to talk to Steve, you got to talk to Steve. Well, he asked a question in the Pentagon a couple of weeks ago. Hey, are they aliens? And so, Steve, I sent you that article he wrote, and I just kept encouraging him to get briefed by you, and he finally did. Was that just yesterday or today? The article came out, uh, got it up in front of me. About 12 hours. It's called Pentagon. We have no evidence of aliens, UFO fans. So you're telling me there is a chance? Well, okay. We're pretty much back where we started. Uh, okay, that's, that's him being light. Uh, obviously, we're not back where we started, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, usually, authors do not write headlines for their pieces. No, they and don't. It's one no. of the, it's, it's one of the uh, weird things about uh, being a journalist. And let me tell you, every reporter can tell you a awful, awful story about that. In any event, look, it's a good article. Let me take us back uh, 20, let's see, 20 uh, We got years. about 30 seconds to the bottom of the hour, so let's... Why, why do we hold it? Okay. Yeah, let's wait till after the bottom. Okay. This is Steve getting published by a, a, a media that a medium that's read by people in the Pentagon. Yep. Uh, My guest yeah. this morning, Steve Bassett and Joe Bookman, and we're talking about the coming tsunami in UAP, ET, UFO, 
developments. And I know that a lot of people out there are going to say, UFO, UFO, uh, I'm sorry, in the general public consciousness, this all comes down to things that move in the sky the way airplanes do not, cannot, by everything we think we know. So when we come back, I'm going to ask several very interesting and I hope, you know, relevant questions, starting with, well, I don't want to give it away. So just kind of hang in there. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. One half hour to go on the Saturday night, Sunday morning expose of what is going to happen in the mainstream next on the ET phenomenology centered on Pentagon reports of things in the sky that even a former president say we cannot explain. We shall return. side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. back everyone to the other side of midnight last half hour um we're not going to take questions because i have too many of my own and i only have a half hour and obviously this is only the uh beginning of a very extensive discussion and dialogue and coverage of these events as they unfold and so i'm going to put you on the speed given that you have spent a quarter of a century figuring out what we would do when we catch the bus what do you think is going to happen during the hearings? And I, I say that as a kind of a leading question because I don't know how we grapple with this subject, even if they're officially saying, oh, it's not our stuff. We don't understand the physics. We don't understand how you fly without airfoils and all that. In other words, at some point, all the physics and technology that have been secret all these decades are going to fall out of the closet and what do we do as a society? What does the hearing do when witnesses sit and say, well, there's a certain hangar at Area 51 where that kind of thing? Unmute. One day I'll learn how to do that. Look, this process underway is specifically designed to not just throw open the closet door and have 
25 years of accumulated stuff fall on top of your head. Um, the, the way I invite people to approach this is this. You need to divide the, the, all of history in half. The first half is pre-disclosure. Though one could say, well, if, if they were dealing with ancients back 5,000 years ago, yeah, but let's, that's, doesn't matter. You know, they, they, didn't have, they didn't have cell phones back then. So the point is, is that in terms of history, it's the pre-disclosure world and the post-disclosure world. And so there are things that can happen in the pre-disclosure world that uh, uh, there are things that can't happen in the pre-disclosure world, but can in the post-disclosure world. So what uh, the hearings should be is national security base. It's all going to be about national security, the national security implications of this phenomenon. Meaning they're a threat. Well, not national security implications is not the same thing as potential threat, and potential threat is not the same thing as threat. In, Terms in your mind, around. in my mind, in Joe's mind, not in the general no. public's mind, as soon as okay. you say national security, everybody looks to see where, where the nukes are going to come from. Yeah, but they're not taking a referendum of the, of the general public as to what they're going to do. They're going to do what they're going to do, and it's what, how they think that matters. Are you forget, hang on. Are you forgetting social media? Social media is guiding the country at the moment. Republicans are guiding the country via social media, via Facebook, via Twitter, via, in other words, what people think really does matter, Steve. Let, let me put it this way. All right. These hearings are going to be held and designed and conducted on the basis of what is needed to get this job done, not on the basis of reviewing 400 million Facebook posts. <laughs> How people react to it as it goes forward will be complicated, but just focus on the hearings. That's what matters. National security has to be the basis for these hearings because it's, it's politically safe. They're not going to hold hearings on how to, you know, let's hold a hearing on where we need to build the extraterrestrial embassy. No, that's not, no, no, no committee chair is going to allow that. It's national security. And there are legitimate national security concerns. They turn off our nuclear weapons. Case closed. Okay. So national security base, that's, that makes a very safe political platform. The witnesses will likely be almost exclusively military. All right either active or retired. There may be a few private defense contractors, non-military that worked on highly classified government projects. Maybe or maybe not. I'm thinking maybe because when Elizondo and Mellon stepped out of the TTSA so that they'd be private citizens in order to engage the, 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 the committees on designing these hearings, the, the committees are not going to want to be working with a Now, are you assuming this or do you have inside intel that they are literally working with the committee in terms of a witness list? I'm not assuming it based on everything I've read, seen, and has been covered. It's the only explanation of what's going down. So I'm, I'm giving you my assessment. So it's an informed okay. speculation. Very informed. Okay. But at the same time that Mellon and Elizondo stepped out of the TTSA, uh, Steve Justice stepped out. That caught me by surprise. And remind me again who he is. Steve Justice was the original TTSA member who was the former director at the Skunk Works at Lockheed. Oh, my, 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 my. And everybody knows the Skunk Works is the most famous government contractor working in classified programs with the government on high technology and propulsion systems. And X everybody that I know. Aurora, yeah. um, uh, what was it, Ben Rich, the head of the Skunk Works, says we could take E.T. home tomorrow. 
All of that, yeah. yeah. So if there was any work being done on ET reverse engineering and so forth, uh, ET tech re-engineering, I assure you the skunk work has evolved. So I, now, now why, why is this important? Again, remember, this is a public relations extrication program, okay? So military witnesses are the safest witnesses you can have. Wait, when they, when Unless they they're asked a question they don't expect, in which case then they do what? They lie? No. No. Do they, they take the, the, they, they, do they take the Fifth no. Amendment? No. No, no, no. They tell the truth, but here's why. The military witnesses, when they sit down at the table, they, they already signed an oath to the Constitution when they signed up to serve. Now they're taking a second oath for the committee with hundreds of millions of people watching to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. But it gets better because, as you know, Richard, with respect to military witnesses, we know them. We know when they signed up, what jobs they had. Now, if they're dealing in classified work, we may not know the specifics of some of the work, but we know where they served, how they served. We know their whole records. That's not the case with uh, many civilian witnesses. So they're, they're as vetted as they can be. They're under double oaths, and they're sit down, like, and they'll be like Fravor. They'll be like Commander Fravor. I love this guy. He just says, hey, this is what I saw, and, no, and nothing happened to him. So military witnesses will be the most the solid, they'll have the greatest gravitas and respect, not only from the committee, but from the American people. And, of course, that's appropriate to a national security-based hearing by See, I'm, any I'm, of these committees. Running to the back of my mind is this great line, the best laid plans of mice and men. <clears throat> the accent on the mice over here. Um, Joseph, let me switch to you. I see this as the, an attempt at a controlled disclosure process that is going to rapidly at warp nine evolve totally out of control because of the American people and social media. You don't think that every senator, and we're assuming this, this hearings will start in the Senate, right, Steve? I believe the first hearing will be in front of the Senate okay. Intelligence Committee. Every one of those senators has, has um, constituencies and constituencies that are really up on this and something that they want to, they desperately want to know what the hell's going on. You don't think that one of those senators or two of those senators will ask the uncomfortable questions that these witnesses will either have to lie about or take some kind of Fifth Amendment stance, which, of course, is going to be the cat among the pigeons and everything is going to break down into total chaos. I don't see how you control this rollout on a predictable political timetable when people and their representatives are directly involved on live television. Who's that to? You. Oh, look, they want them to ask that question. Right? They want them to ask that question. Look, uh, once those, you see, here's the beauty of the hearings. So we are on the same page. This is like a cattle shoot to get to the ET question. That's not a cattle shoot ridiculous look uh when when uh, Bra- uh um what's his name uh, when the fellow that worked at the uh, pentagon uh came forward with a book about roswell started talking about files he found in a the library there and all that chase brandon i think his name was mm-hmm. he, he was kind of a witness but he wasn't in front of a committee under oath he was writing a book and he went on coast to coast and he got yanked back back in really quickly look that was then. This is now. If somebody gets interviewed on a, some talk show, 
if somebody – look, when Bigelow – No, I'm just confining it, myself to what's going to happen during the hearings. I know, I know, I know. When senators who are fed questions because the, the, their constituency will know a lot more than they do about this, and they will pick the most interesting question to make themselves – remember, these hearings are always you know, arenas for stardom by a lot of politicians. It's their moment to shine, to look as if they're putting the witness on the – you know up against the wall? Uh, uh, well, yeah, that's kind of been the past practice, but this is a good example, a good opportunity for them to not do that. You, you want to put a former member of the military up against the wall when he's testifying about nuclear weapons tampering? No. Look, I can't predict how every member of the committee is going to act in these hearings. What I'm trying to say is this. Bob Bigelow went on 60 Minutes and told everybody in the world there's extraterrestrials here. He told them twice. Did the president immediately jump out and say, oh, yeah, no, because he wasn't under oath and it wasn't a hearing. He was being interviewed by 60 Minutes. When these military witnesses get in front of the committee under oath, now we're down to the real time. And so we're going to learn about the nuclear weapons tampering evidence that's been out there for years, but the press will never get to it. And no hearings were held. Now they're going to have the hearings about the nuclear weapons tampering. And these witnesses are the most compelling in the world. All right, more compelling than Fravor by a magnitude and other things. And it'll build. At some point, some member of the committee would ask if be Robert Salas. He could ask Robert Salas. If Bob Salas, he says, uh, Commander Salas, uh, do you think that, that that craft that hovered over your sack base that night and turned the weapons off was extraterrestrial? And Bob will tell him, yeah. Okay, great. That'll heat things up. And the fat and is so, in the fire. That's what I, we're, all, we're all on the same yeah, page. But it's not going to create chaos. What if Are you create, kidding? No, it's not going to create chaos. Look, I don't, I'm not going to start predicting chaos right, uh, out there because predicting chaos is how you get see, chaos. See, chaos what, to me, maybe we're defining chaos differently here. Yeah. I define chaos as unscripted truth-telling as opposed to mm. an agenda and someone trying to prescribe what the witnesses can say. And for God's sake, don't ever talk about Lockheed Martin's secret skunk works where they've been developing anti-gravity craft for the U.S. government. Is – yes, Joseph, Joseph, hang on, hang on, Steve. Joseph, come on. I mean that's, that's the question, isn't it? I, I think my experience of, of good people who I've known in the United States military is they take their oath to the Constitution seriously. And they're uncomfortable with, um, at some level, with these NDAs that they have uh, have signed. But but they they think that's doing their duty. Now you get them in a Senate hearing room, and they are sworn in, uh, taking an oath to tell the truth to these civilian authorities. I think that trumps the NDAs. I think they will tell the truth. I don't no, think they're going to claim it. It doesn't. It doesn't trump the NDA, Joe. This is going to be very interesting, gentlemen. But here's no. But again, you, you all haven't watched enough hearings, okay? Look, again, if, if they ask one of the the, the but Stephen, you, by your own words, it nothing ever of this magnitude, which affects the entire human species, has been put forth in this forum with these representatives of the people under the U.S. Constitution. The fact that you think it can be controlled, I think, is a pipe dream. Thank God it will I, I not be controllable. Well, look, uh, look, it is a major thing, and, and you can't totally predict what's going to happen, and that's a general statement. I'm trying to be specific here, all right? That, that's the best I can do. 
So you have the military witnesses sitting at the table. And he's asked, do you think the phenomenon is extraterrestrial? Probably almost any one of those military witnesses could probably answer that without breaking any security clearance or NDA. And if they can, they'll say, uh, I, I know, I don't know, or I think so, or whatever. No big deal, but that will, the audience, by the way, everybody is not going to be running around in the street. They're going to be glued to their television sets uh, with some libations uh, uh, next to their chair. They're not going anywhere, all right? So they're just watching. Now, if any one of those people is asked a question, no matter how controversial it is, that puts them in a position where they're having to give classified information that they're not allowed to do, all they have to do is say, Senator, I'd be happy to ask you answer that question, but it needs to be in a classified briefing. And the senator will say, that is fine. We will, we're going to be holding some of those, and you can come in and talk to us. They're never going to be put on the spot in that sense. It's not necessary, and it won't happen. All right? And so it will, it will be very – it will be reasonably controlled. And, and again – if you listen to the comments that are coming from the members of Congress, from Rubio, from Warner, from others, from Reid, and so forth, you're, you're hearing people that are basically saying, thank God there's something truly important that we can address in this town and be open and candid about it and nonpartisan. So I, I'm not there, – there's some real characters in our, our, our Congress right now, and that doesn't mean that one of them won't do something <laughs> incredibly stupid, but I assure you uh, – look. I held a citizen hearing on disclosure, a mock congressional hearing in the, the press building where I'm officed right now and speaking to you from, two blocks from the White House, uh, the citizen hearing on disclosure. And it was a mock congressional hearing to show how such testimony would go. And it went fine. It went perfectly fine. Nobody was under a legal oath, but it was clear that all kinds of questions were asked, including the extraterrestrial question. People answered them. It was all good. Do we yeah. have do do you have and can you give to Cynthia a list of the senators on the Intel committee that we can post so their All constituents can then begin sending them questions from the people to be asked too soon. Too soon, but Cynthia can just send, uh, uh, Google Senate Intelligence Committee and it comes right up. She can take it right off the net. Uh, I'm not ready to talk that way yet. It's too soon. I want to wait. There are some people doing that. There's a couple of programs out there. There's a protest scheduled for July 2 in front of the White House. There's actually this project turning up all over the place. Uh, uh, the second political ad, 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 PAC, the Political Action Committee in history, was just formed by three people who I think have a hell of a lot more money than I ever had. Uh, so there's all that happening, too. Uh, it, this, is a, this is a snowball that is now starting to really roll down the mountainside. It's picking up speed and it's getting bigger and bigger. And when it finally gets to the bottom, it's going to wipe out three or four ski chalets filled with the bunkers <laughs> of skeptics. So it ain't, it's not, it's not going back up the hill. So, so I, I think one of the things people understand, I am struggling to keep up with these developments. And all I do is try to keep up with these developments. I imagine the average person is like overwhelmed and like I, something's going, it's big. I, don't, I, heard, I heard that. This, and, they, and they have no way to put, piece it together. I, as of, you know, I'm, I'm now scheduled in a few, about two weeks for my 88th interview. I'll hit my 100th interview something like six months sooner than I've ever hit that mark before in the last 24 years. And it's only just starting. I may end up doing 500 interviews this year. Uh, so it, it, it's intense. Eat your Wheaties. But, 
but that's why there, you need people like myself. Well, let me let me let me ask uh, Joseph because we're down to like us in almost uh, ten minutes here. Uh, Joseph, you back with us? Joseph, can he's you hear there. it? Unmute. He, he's there. I don't hear him. I put him to sleep. He's out cold. <laughs> Joseph, here. he's here. He I, says he's here. There you are. Oh yeah, your mic is is terrible. Um. Can you read to people what you submitted to the Libertarian uh, uh, National Committee in terms of a, a statement or a position on this subject uh, in the last day or two? Well, I'm on my phone and I'm not by a, a computer, so I can't do both at the same time. Uh, but, you uh, emailed it to me, Joe. I can pull it up probably in about 30 seconds. Okay. Because I'd like, because again, the reason I'm doing this from the political point of view, and I know people out there hate politics, but it's the only way we have of getting from A to B to C to Z. That is in a civilized society, and it's all going to happen relatively quickly. Uh, obviously, Steve, you will keep us informed as to new developments since you're at Ground Zero. Um, while you're looking, you know, can you look and answer a question at the same time? You, yeah. you spent 40 minutes on the phone with Ashley Parker. I've been watching Ashley Parker for years, both on television, what she's written, etc. How would you gauge her personal interest and investment in this issue? It was she was she she was moving fast. She needed to get the article out, so it was a little time, but she she listened. She listened for 35, you know how I am, right? Oh, yes. 35 yes. minutes, and, and she, she recorded it. Uh, there, there, there was, she was clearly serious about this article, and uh, I knew she had to be because she wouldn't have been assigned the article. It wouldn't be her, her – she wouldn't be writing it, right? She has reporters for that. So, uh, but based on everything I've seen, and I've, I've, I've corresponded with her, and I'm going to be corresponding with her some more. Uh, Good. It's clear to me that the post is in. Okay, they're in. They're, they've gone in. They, they've done a number of articles. They printed some op-eds from Mellon and so forth. So you can and you go at my site. You can see everything the Washington Post has done since October of 2017, and the New York Times as well. But I know now they are fully committed. All right. So let's take it back to the Ellsberg days. When the Post jumped in to the Ellsberg papers, they were fully committed. They were threatened by massive lawsuits. There was a possibility that they could have been destroyed. They were taking on the United States government, the White House. And they, they did it. The and they Nixon, Nixon White down. House, yes. The Nixon White House. And, and, and that, that, this is bigger than that story. But they had so Ben Bradley. You know, uh, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a really far out question. Do you think part of this interest of the post is based on Bezos, that Bezos is really a space cadet, that he believes space is the salvation of humankind, et cetera, et cetera, and that because he, he owns the post, that interest is kind of leaking downstream? I doubt it. Well, Bezos uh, came in and did great stuff. The, the people at the post are very happy with Jeff Bezos. He is back in his paper to the hilt. He's allowing it to do what it wants to do. It's moving to online subscriptions. Uh, and, the, and the staff is every bit as good as the staff, Bradley. And by the way, Bradley wouldn't touch this issue with a 10-foot pole. Neither would uh, uh, Woodward. Uh, no, this is a new era. These are new people. 
They've got all the money they need. And, and all I can say to your audience is this. The New York Times and the Washington Post are now competing to see who gets the most Pulitzer Prize out of the truth embargo's <laughs> demise. That's what's going on. That's, that's my job is to break, get things boiled down to the basics. Okay, don't get too too worried. Don't no no no. I'm not worried at all. I'm just trying to you know watch the the the, the bouncing ball here because again the nitty gritty is how this is going to unfold. And for most people, they have no idea how this works. So part of tonight, I hope, would be a kind of a you know um, presentation lecture thingy in how this process works, where we finally get truth. And and this is something I almost said I didn't say before. I need to say is this. The, the hearings that will take place and the evidence that will be brought forward be relatively defined to certain areas, okay? And it's the national security area. But in addressing the national security area, the testimony that will be presented by these military witnesses about a range of incidents and cases, much more than just the Nimitz case, I assure you, not to mention that other evidence could turn up. The, the government's got thousands of clips of gun camera footage of intercepts. That evidence in and of itself will be more than enough to confirm that this phenomenon is of extraterrestrial origin, which allows for disclosure. And that's what happens pre-disclosure. Once disclosure has been made, once the president is confirmed, every door to every aspect of this issue becomes immediately unlocked. Now, then you start the post-disclosure hearings which will expand to an ever-increasing range of witnesses covering different areas, which may include many of us, okay? And there are very tough areas to engage, no question about it, right? But once the disclosure event has happened, the worst of the public relations problem for the DOD or the Air Force, which, by the way, hasn't said anything yet, and it better soon, uh, and the politicians is over. Then they deal with the post-disclosure public relations problems, and there are some big ones. But I believe the public, having finally been told the truth of the ET presence, are going to be generous because they're going to say, look, yeah, that's, that's pretty awkward. I can't believe you did that, but thank you so much for telling us. Mm. And so the, the, the disclosure finality may only go for a couple of weeks and boom, it's done. The post-disclosure hearing. And reports and studies. Yeah. Well, I can, I, I can use Joseph wanting to say something. Joseph? Yes, Joe. Yes. Well, I found what you asked me to read to you, but um, we may have run out of time now. How long is it? It's not that long. Uh, it's not that long, I guess. Just read. But, uh, did Steve, did you finish your point, though? I would, yes, I I'm done. You're ready. You're on. Tell, tell us what you said yeah. to the, uh, the committee. The Libertarian Party demands the government of the United States of America cease persecution of whistleblowers, especially those related to waste, fraud, criminal activity, and the UFO slash UAP slash ET issue. Further, we demand the government provide incentives and rewards for those who disclose such activity, specifically contracts with non-disclosure agreements designed to prevent such reporting, including the birthright issues of whether we are alone in the cosmos or not should be seen as and are anti-constitutional, null, void, and morally repugnant. The Libertarian Party calls for their immediate repudiation. That's it. That's terrific. Now, my follow-up question. <clears throat> Have you sent them 
the New York Times pieces, the Washington Post pieces, the Wall that's, Street that's Journal. The email uh, you'll note in today's article a link to the 2016 uh, New York Times uh, article related to Clinton's. I'm quoted in the New York Times article of 2016. Eve Bassett mentioned at the end of today's Washington Post article. Also briefed Ron Nielsen, Gary Johnson's campaign manager, who was the Libertarian presidential nominee 2012 and 2016. Steve briefed Gary Johnson's campaign manager on this issue, did a presentation at Evan Lord's home theater. Evan was on the staff. I was there for each of those briefings. Steve's is in D.C., briefing government officials now. I'd like to see a day where he's invited by the LNC to brief all of us. That's how I introduced the motion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me comment on that. I, I honestly do not remember. I said this is a public relations-driven extrication process to minimize the pain, maximize the winners, and minimize the losers. I do not believe it's going to be necessary to have any program for people to be able to circumvent NDAs or violate any of their relationships uh, after serving the government. I think it'll all happen without that, which is good public relations. After disclosure, when things are get a little more intense, it may be necessary. Uh, depending upon how things go, to press the, uh, the, the White House for a directive regarding uh, 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 people who have security oaths. And so that would be a sort of like of and the 30 program. seconds, Steve. We may also Just need a, 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 recon, a, a reconciliation program. And this would be specifically for people inside the MIC that actually committed illegal acts in service to the truth embargo they could come forward under a directive where they could say, tell everything that happened, there are precedents for this truth and reconciliation, and there would be no consequences to them as long as they told the full truth. We may push for that. It may be needed disclosure. Uh, and so Joe's in the right area, but I don't think that's going to be needed going in. The whole process even way is to violate, avoid that. I don't want anyone to violate an NDA. I'm just saying the Congress has the ability to make guys, NDA. Guys, null and we're out of runway. We'll do this again. Hey, thank oh, you, everyone. Thank uh, most specially to Stephen Bassett and Joe Bookman. This is merely the opening salvo, as you will hear tomorrow night when we talk UFOs with Richard Grossinger and many other things, part two, in terms of implication. So until tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone, and keep looking up.